You're listening to the Fire in a Hole podcast with Richard and Jason, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and a cast. If you want to keep the show free and help us keep the lights on, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you have ideas for the show, we'd like to come on the show, uh, don't hesitate to drop us a line at Podcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. This is the year 2016. Donald Trump is about to destroy the world. Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> in a small city in North America called Montreal, two men continue talking like it's going to make a difference. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so uh, we had uh, comedian extraordinaire and fan- just fantastic all-round dude, dude I'd hang out with any day, Habib, in the house. Yeah, what a guy. He's awesome. Just a fucking just an interesting guy. Like, I really, I told him, I said, you could not even be telling jokes. I would come and listen to you talk about stuff. Yeah, it's just fascinating. Although, when he does talk, tell jokes, it's very, very funny. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. But he's compelling, just on his own. He's a compelling guy. Yeah. And uh, I think the length of this episode will demonstrate that. <laughs> it should definitely be an indicator of how conducive to conversation his uh, his styles. And, style and we could keep talking for hours. We could. Yeah. We could. And we probably will. Yeah. Next cov- time he comes back. We, we covered some crazy topics, right? Yeah. He talked a lot about uh, hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Oh, like nostalgia music and what he's into. Um, a bit about just public speaking, fascination with public speakers. Yeah. So interestingly, uh, he tells us about his family. He tells us about his origins, how his dad uh, was kind of indirectly responsible in a way to influencing to speak in front of people, which then led to education which then led to comedy yeah he certainly has a talent for it and has a phd in hbo's the wire that's correct so just to repeat that in case you thought you misheard this man completed a phd uh based on the hit show the wire from hbo (laughs) and if you think that's nuts like where do you hear him tell the story it's really something yeah um comedy Bill Burr, Chris Rock, Louis C.K. Yeah, we had to talk about comedy. Come on. First time he got booed. Yeah. Uh, traveling. Oh, and he's he's hosting a, a comedy show yeah, in so the old port. That's definitely something we need to lock down. You, we, we were going to repeat this later on. <laughs> the show is actually called Lock Doc. Right? Lock Doc. And where is it? It's at 400 de la Commune, which is called the Marché des Éclusiers. Yeah, Marché des Éclusiers, yeah. So it's in the old port, so that's tourist town. Uh, it's a great venue. Uh, it's something he's almost single-handedly built uh, himself. And it happens when? August 3rd, 10th, and 17th. And I think they come back again in September. But this episode is going to drop on August 1st. So if you're listening to this, when this first comes out, you've got two days to make your plans. That's right. Tell your girlfriend that uh, you know you have priorities. Or involve your girlfriend. Who knows? That's it. This well, actually might win you some brownies. <laughs> we'll definitely be there. So if you'd like to meet us in person, then by all means, come on down. If you're ready for that experience. Mm. So check out Habib uh, on the episode 40-some-odd <laughs> Fire in the Hole. Fire in the Hole? Ha, Missy gishy gushy gushy missy mushy mushy motherfucker. Huh? Eh? Look at that here. Negro, you cannot travel halfway around the world and not speak any motherfucking English. English, motherfucker! 
one of those conscious rapper guys. You used to hip hop? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but almost predominantly. That's it. Almost predominantly, really. Although, ironically enough, man, nothing new. Like, if you asked me to name a Rick Ross song, I'd be like, I don't can't fucking do know. It. You know, okay, I can't I'm do glad it. to hear so you say that. Everything and like, I still bump one, two, one, two. Yeah, I'll still play the Untouchables, like the Scarface album from '96. Yeah. It's my high school jam, and it's it still holds up. <laughs> it's still. I good. feel like this can't, is happening to everything, but it, it's funny. Like I. In, out. Um, like, I've always I've always been split between metal and hip-hop. Like, I've yeah. always listened to both. Yeah. And obviously, being, in my, being you know, my age, I'm 37 years old, so I was very fortunate, like, to discover rap at a, this fucking golden right, age. Right, almost, like, exactly. Which was not even, like, it was past the, it was, like, maybe third phase of rap. Yeah. Right? So, like, it wasn't the Grandmaster Flash years. It wasn't the quite the Kumo D. Yeah. But I just caught the tail end of the Ra- Eric B and Rakim, yeah. um, Big Daddy Kane. Yeah. And then, like, Wu-Tang showed up. Yeah. Uh, fucking uh, Mob Deep. Yeah, uh, my entry was straight out of Compton, man. Straight out of Compton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ironically right. enough, UA, which yeah. is a weird, which is a weird entry point. I mean, obviously before that, you you kind of hear it and whatever and and listen to it. But like my my first initial, like, yeah, what the fuck is this? Yeah, you know, was yeah my. Uh, what was? Do you remember what your like uh, what which album like blew you up for the first time? Like which one where you were like, oh shit, this is those two those two albums. Essentially, I I um I stumbled onto Straight Outta Compton like a couple of years late, so it would have been like tail end of like it would have been ninety, right? Um, yeah, that makes my, sense. Yeah, my friend my friend was just like took me up to his his bedroom. It was like shh, can't fuck it, you know. And we listened to the record on on, on headphone the CD I think at the time, on on headphones. But and then I went back to Lebanon. And then it took me like a year and a half to two years to actually to hunt that. Like that was like a two year, you know, mission to. And then like a cousin of mine was visiting from Germany and then went back. I was like, yeah, you got to get me the NWA Because you just album. couldn't get it in the. It's not, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Like it's just not, you know, pre, I guess, mass globalization. Like that just, it wasn't, you know, hip hop just wasn't no. big at all. It was like, right? it was very much a mixtape underground tape yeah. thing for a long time in yeah. the middle east um in many par- parts of yeah. uh europe too that were sort of still coming out of the communist block yeah. haze yeah like these tapes that you could just randomly get anywhere here were i mean th- this came up in uh what's that documentary the headbangers ball i think it was where they talked about like that this i forget the guy's name who did this but he's this young guy who wanted to basically major in heavy metal but there was no right. such major so he took the second best thing which was anthropology okay and which is brilliant when you think about it because he wanted to study a culture right right so he does the a to z and like the offshoots and how it happened and whatever and at some point he brings up the the napster fiasco where yeah. large Ulrich and metallica yeah. kind of yeah. became the spokesperson for like the anti-pirating anti-download yeah. whatever and then they pop over to the Middle East and Israel and all these other yeah. countries, and they're like, without torrents and Napsters, we would not have access to this music. Right. It's banned in like a bunch of places, or there's just nowhere to go. Yeah. There's nowhere to go to get this music. We know about these bands because we're pirating this stuff. If we could buy it, we would. Yeah. You know? 
So yeah, man, NWA. Uh, that, that was yeah, a so, like that album. was the summer of '91, I think, when I first yeah discovered the second album. Like whatever the the backwards, you know, the the I won't say the title on whatever, but yeah that hadn't come out yet so anyway when my cousin when my cousin from germany like i get this package in the mail and uh i was like oh is it the shape like a cd i'm like oh this is you know and it was mad thick too i don't know why he threw a tracy chapman cd in there he was like here you go <laughs> listen to this was well, it was like the fast car like the fast car album like yeah. around that around that time and then it had the two nwas i didn't know about that you know the second one hadn't dropped when i asked him to get me the straight out of compton and right. uh that was a rap, man. I remember my parents being like, "Yeah, this is just this is just a phase. It's cool." You He's know, gonna was, get out of it. Yeah, I was eleven or twelve at the time, and and they were just like, "Yeah, whatever." And then that just that kind of just just avalanched into yeah, nineties you know, were a lifelong, really cool, you know, lifelong thing. Like yeah. I remember going, like I hung out with people from from like all walks of life, all races, just because being biracial meant that yeah. I had no group really, right. So, you know, I hung out with the white guys, I hung out with the Asian guys, I hung out with the Arabs, the blacks, whatever. And whenever I'd hang out with the black guys, I'd go over, like, and they would be playing dominoes. And, like, any, any of these albums that came out were incredibly influential. Like, when Menace to Society and Boys right. in the Hood came out. Yeah, I pe- wore the, we wore those tapes out, man. Yeah. It was like the VHS that you just kept watching until the image got fuzzy <laughs> after yeah. a while. And people like, started even... Yeah. People even started dressing that my way. Mama? <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember the Hispanic guys, like the, the Mexicans and whatever, the, the, the South American guys, w- were kind of in a gang, but they weren't really, like, vatos until blood in blood out came out mm-hmm. which was oh, like the, yeah, yeah. right mm-hmm. and then suddenly they were buttoning one shirt yeah. only and one they're button, top yeah. gang yeah. signing and they're using all these expressions and right. tattooing themselves in the you know next to the thumb and stuff like that and it mm-hmm. was the same thing but what was interesting is you'd go over to like a, a black guy's house and he'd have like dominoes and there'd be oes and uh, red dragons or whatever beers worst. like the malt, yeah, the worst OE beer ever the worst malt liquor it's horrible ever. right it's horrid and but if you look at the cd collection yeah. there'd be like there'd be like um mc hammer would be there yeah um kind of as a gag and then they'd have a bunch of this like nwa mob deep whatever the uh, um uh, grave diggers all this yeah. other stuff yeah and then there'd be metallica's black album soundgarden's uh uh super unknown album yeah like they they fucked with at, with, at with the time that yeah at the time music. that I got to hip hop I was I was really into Metallica and Guns N' Roses as well yeah. and I kind of <laughs> just I rode that fence for a while and just went the the hip hop route but the the Metallica like the Black Album Metallica like that whole phase from the first album to all the way like the Kill 'Em All Master of Puppets yeah. Ride the Lightning all the way on to like the Black Album. Mm. Um, that phase was that's that's still i go back and i still listen it's to that timeless. fairly regularly it's sure. awesome and i'm not i you know any other band in that genre i you know no exposure or absolutely no knowledge on but for right. whatever reason those five albums well, even guns and roses i don't really go back and listen to no. but the that metallica like the that first whatever four or five album stretch was, was, insane. Of cassettes was insane that you listen to until they turn to dust yeah i still have mine and i yeah. don't think it would think it would just like, i i ended up buying them all on cd i didn't <laughs> i didn't experience those on tapes but it's uh yeah. yeah 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 like people would lose i know like master of puppets was the album people kept losing or having right. people yeah. take away and then they'd have to buy it again <laughs> yeah. that was the album that everyone yeah. kept buying over and over yeah. 
Um, but that was a heavy. The reason I bring this up is because we we were talking just a couple minutes ago about how like you're still a huge hip hop head. Yeah. But you you couldn't name anything by like any of the. Now I couldn't even hum guys. a Drake tune, man, which is kind of embarrassing because to some extent that's almost willful. <laughs> like you almost need to willfully dissociate from like popular culture and like the the you can't. I mean, if I hear it on the radio, I might be able to recognize his voice. I'll be like, oh, this is a Drake track, but I wouldn't be able to name an album. You know, same with that that whole phase. I kind of just really outside of like Kendrick and Run the Jewels. There isn't anybody whose album I'm waiting on. Uh, Mick Jenkins, I got to listen to a couple of times and haven't like that's on my list of just sit down and and listen to properly. But there's just a few names here and there, man. I'm I'm still bumping like I'm still yeah. bumping Scarface. Well, when when, <laughs> when that Metallica explosion happened in our heyday, I remember being at an arcade because yeah. That was our heyday. <laughs> I began at an arcade, and you know how you used to have to put your quarter on the screen? Right. So you, you wanted to go next or whatever, mm. on Street Fighter or whichever yeah. game. And I remember these, I'll never forget these. There was these two guys, and they were like denim from head to toe. Like they were just, I think their skins were made out of denim, right? <laughs> They're the two most denim dudes I've ever seen. And they were covered in Metallica patches. And I, w I must have been like 14 years old or something. And I just like, hey, Metallica, man, I love those guys. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of turned to me with like this grim look. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, which album? I'm like, well, I'm listening to the Black album right now. And it's yeah. great. And they're just like, get the fuck out of my face, kid. Yeah. Some bullshit. That's not Metallica. Blah, blah, blah. They, were f they were super mad. Like they did not even <laughs> acknowledge the Black album as it being. They literally said the same thing that you just said yeah. a couple of minutes like i i don't i feel like i should know this new stuff but yeah. i don't connect with it or whatever yeah. so i wonder if it's just cyclical if that's just or is music really shit right now or i don't know man Ev everyone everyone like it it almost seems that every generation is like oh man you know what are the kids listening to these days you but music? It, it's yeah but it it's <laughs> almost it's almost been because of a genre shift, right? Like, so we're the hip-hop generation. The generation before us was, like, soul and R&B. And it's, it's a huge jump when you go from, like, a specific tempo to, you know, to, to actually singing to, you know, to what you hear in hip-hop. I can understand somebody from a prior generation not appreciating what's going mm -hmm. on here. But this is the first time, and, and I could be wrong, whatever, from my limited scope or, or my limited engagement with music. This is almost the first time that generational shift happens within the same genre. Like, it's hip-hop heads being like, I don't understand the new hip-hop. Right. You know? While and wearing I'm, I'm Iron sure, t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm sure I'm sure that must have happened, like, with rock at some point because it's that, that genre's had that longevity. But, yeah. I mean, hip-hop's young, man. Yeah, you know, young. it's very it's young. Like being somebody yeah. who like listened to the Beatles and then listened to Metallica. Exactly. Then, yeah, you know, so you thing. see, you see an evolution in in like rock and maybe like you know spawning off into like whatever, whether it's heavy metal or death or so. It, it's created these subgenres that we haven't really, that we haven't really totally experienced. Maybe trap, I guess. Now is like the first weird like thing that we have for hip hop that is like a, a specific type of hip hop. Yeah. Because prior to that, it was like it was regional. Yeah. You know, it's like true. New York hip hop yeah. sounded a little different from like Southern hip hop, which sounded different from West Coast hip hop. But it was more or less the same. And now trap is like, I, I don't know what the fuck Migos is talking I, about. Yeah, man. I have no it's idea. Just, yeah. It's almost it's, like, like I've heard the Migos uh, like in an interview. Yeah. And I, I know I'm going to catch some shit for this, but they sound mentally challenged. <laughs> 
like they sound like they can't talk. <laughs> like they literally sound like they 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 have uh, like uh, uh, like if I hear that kid talk in my in my son's school, I'm like, oh, like, we yo, need to get yo. the speech therapist. <laughs> yeah. And we need to get like they sound like they're mentally like they sound slow. Yeah, they, but that's I, I just can the way they that. talk. I can see that, but that, then you'll have a dude like Waka Flock of Flame, whose music like I, j- I just can't vibe to or whatever. But then yeah. I've heard interviews. I'm like, yo, this dude is bright, man. Yeah, he's this not. Dude, no, no, not Waka, at all. You can you tell know? it's a like you can tell there's something there. And like Migos, yeah, the, 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 it just sounds like like it just because it's it's one of those like we're just. At this point, we're just exploring whatever is going on. And right. Like, these, half of these guys, like, I listen to Vlad TV a lot. Half of these guys, like, can't speak, let alone speak English. They can't talk properly. Or maybe that's, like I said, I feel like it's a style. But at the same time, I, I guess I'm just maybe too old. <laughs> what about you, Richard? Like, what was your musical awakening? I think there's a nostalgia factor involved. Yeah. Like, as a kid, what was your, like, NWA? Or what was your... Did you I have, like, a singer or band that you were like holy shit not in particular no i, m- I remember getting into like the guns and roses metallica stuff a lot okay but there's there's a ton of music that i got into as as a kid that i'll still go back to now but if i listen to that for the first time now i would i wouldn't have any attachment to it are oh, you like all. cognizant like, that it shit. was okay like what yeah. like give an example well we'd uh when we, we went away for the for the chalet weekend and yeah. uh, one of our good buddies put on that song uh, Dare from the Transformers <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack. Right. Yes. <laughs> like that nineteen eighties cartoon. Yes. And it's such it's like Stan Bush. It's like it's just it such was a cheesy. soundtrack. There's a soundtrack. Yeah, released an album. Oh were, yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, dude, shit. it was epic. I didn't it know that, epic. dude. I cried when Optimus Prime died. We in all the movie. Yeah. We all did, right? <laughs> like, literally, you know. All, that's an epic so, epic yeah. soundtrack, my friend. I, I was literally listening that. to that that's soundtrack insane. today at work. Okay. And if I'd listened to it now as an adult, like just going into it like, like I, I wouldn't like this bullshit. music at all right yeah but there's this whole nostalgic component to it so i've rarely had that with music as much as i have with movies like i went through a yeah. phase where i went back and watched like all the stuff that i like you know i guess the the tail end of high school first few years of first few years of college from uh everything from like the untouchables to he got game right white got, man can't I, jump. I wish I, <laughs> white man can't after he got game I'm almost scared to go back and watch White Men Can't Jump because I used to love. To watch now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I it's used to love. Fun. He got game, and I watched it, and I'm like, no, I'm I telling wish you, I hadn't done that. It's and so I left. Yeah, I left. I left White Men Can't Jump. Or anything by Spike Lee, like from that era, is <laughs> yeah. super like, oh god, if this movie came out now, yeah. there would be a shitstorm. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Spike, Spike is weird. Spike is yeah. Spike yeah, I think is, like movies and and for me at least. Uh, music there's it, it kind of brings me back to that moment right like there are certain yeah. certain albums certain yeah. songs is like oh i remember where i was yeah this was my breakup album for that right. ex-girlfriend and this was when i you know this other life event happened right so no I so that's for that. you it's very tight very much tied to experiences yeah for, okay. for me personally okay yeah. well the the transformer soundtrack is an interesting story because i initially just was in love with it because I must have watched Transformers the movie like 800,000 times. I literally, I'd play, I'd, it would just play on repeat on my VCR. Yeah. I'd just watch it over and over and over. I knew every line. I knew where the animation mistakes were in it. Uh, I didn't even know who the fuck Orson Welles was, or I, I sort of knew who Leonard Nimoy was, but like um, Eric Idle, I didn't know who he was. And then I rediscovered it as, a, as an 18, 19-year-old, 
And now when I listen to the music, I actually appreciate the musicianship. Like, these right. are they're actually great fucking, like, uh, hard rock songs. Yeah, it's incredibly dated and cheesy, you know, mm. like, with, with all these super positive messages of <laughs> dare to believe yeah. and you've got to touch. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's going to stand in our way. And it's good. <laughs> but it's so refreshing to listen to it now, right? Because that positive music is gone. Yeah. And I think this backstory to that soundtrack is they initially had wanted to get like some of the hair metal acts of the day to like do the soundtrack. Right. But either it was a budget issue or they couldn't bring it together. And so they just found this dude, Stan Bush, who's like this one man hair band. He's like a one man band. He can do it all. He's, and he banged out this thing that he's probably still touring on this album. Like he's he, probably still he going is. to conventions yeah. and people are still wanting to hear it like on the same level as uh, the final countdown. Like yeah. the, the, that band, Europa, can still tour yeah. on that one track because immediately everybody's like, like it immediately <laughs> stirs the soul, you know, and everybody fucking sings along, yeah. no matter race, color, uh, height. I don't know what that has to do with it, but you know what I mean? So, okay, so for you, it was very nostalgia-related. Yeah. So were you, did you have a leaning towards hip-hop or rock? Rock, definitely yeah. rock, yeah. Okay, yeah, I and wasn't like, really into the hip hop that much. Like we're talking like, like uh, I don't. I know. was a white suburban kid, so you were a white supremacist. A white suburban kid. <laughs> suburban kid. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> That'd be super cool. I was ah. like, what? I was ten. I was a white supremacist, but then I kind of, <laughs> I, I kind of realized that was silly. definitely not a white supremacist. Uh, I left that behind. <laughs> and I found like the, the guys who got into hip hop in my neighborhood. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. I had a distaste for them. Like I, I felt like they were kind of pretenders. You know, like they right. were getting into it in order to project a certain vibe and stuff. And I think that that's what I, I avoided that. Yeah, because you know, you're like kind of a tough guy if you listen to hip hop, at least in those days. Or yeah, I think so. Right. So I, I, that immediately put me off. I just didn't want to be associated with that crowd. But okay. I, you know, I got into it a little bit later on. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because. You know, there was these divisions. And I think that's maybe what's going on is like when we were kids, we kind of saw the la last of a really um, purposeful segregation of musical styles. Like you had all of these categories. Oh, you want the hip hop? That's upstairs. You want yeah. you want the rock albums? That's downstairs. Yeah. Like they segregated music. Yeah. And then I think now there's like a almost a revel in like oh, I'm doing a acid jazz, proto-punk, uh, fusion, uh, like, crunk yeah. symphony music. And, you know, like, just the more fucking weird it is, the better it is. And I think that's, we're kind of throwing off the chains, but at the same time, for us, it's kind of like, what the fuck's yeah, going on? Yeah, what the hell's going on? Like, where's the shit that I'm used to, basically? I, I was used to being... Putting this on when I was like this, and yeah, I don't know how much of it. Again, I don't know how much of it is like the old man syndrome, you know, like <laughs> oh, what is this new thing I have to get used to, you <laughs> know, or, crazy yeah, music. Like the, wow. exactly, or or just you know, actually just being lesser quality music. I'm confident in saying that it is lesser quality music, though. A bit, like a little bit, it's it's definitely like something new that you know that's that's difficult to adapt to, but it's just also not there, man. Like the. The the beats are the beats are horrible, man. They're very I'm, I'm not gonna lie. There's there's nothing lyrically that makes me want to rewind, or there's no you know there's no patterns. There's no, there's nothing. There's nothing that that draws me at least. Right. But then it's it's whatever. It's it's what you look for in music as well. Some people just want you know. Like my friend, I was talking I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, to pimp to pimp a butterfly, 
to Pimp right. a Butterfly? Yeah, right. And he was like, dude, it's a great album, right? He loves Kendrick. He's like, it's a great album, um, you know, lyrically, musically, everything's awesome. But he's like, I don't want to have to study an album, <laughs> right? you know? Like, I don't want to have to sit down and, and actually, like, give my undivided attention and be stimulated, like, in specific. He's like, I just want something to vibe to in the car. Yeah, that's you how know? people are with and, movies, and too. And he's right? like, there weren't enough bangers on that album for me. And, and that's that, you know? And Fair to enough. me, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, like, I still haven't gotten tired of listening to it. Yeah, I guess it it's such a personal moment contextual thing i can see how it is a heavy album because i haven't been able to like bump it like you know like i'll bump it for a little bit i can take a break and then i'll come back to it and then it, it hasn't been like a continuous since okay. since the time of release but uh yeah i mean for me the uh you for you was straight out of compton for me was uh the naughty by nature uh like debut album yeah like which to me today still is like a masterpiece whatever happened to tretch he's still around is but he? he just kind of he's a very odd fellow Okay. He, he's sort of very much in his own he's kind of tried acting yeah i, I remember the acting like little try to be a porn you know. star too i think did for he a while. yeah I think uh, he did some porn. okay um i know willie d tried to buy real estate in iraq when when the that shit sounds, went down that sounds and about i remember right. reading yeah they were talking about like a ghetto boys album reunion and that it makes was like a lot i'm of buying sense. real estate in iraq <laughs> it almost sounds like a good idea yeah, no, it was... Uh, or a really bad idea. Yeah. Or a really bad <laughs> idea. It's one of those two things. It's really bad or really good. If there was any hope that that they could rebuild and it would stay rebuilt, like I would say, okay, do it. But, um, yeah, it just um, that's a whole yeah. fucking situation over there, too. There must be Iraqi rap, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course there is. And of course there is, man. There's, there's hip-hop everywhere. Shit. My, like... Um, one of my best friends, man, someone I grew up with when uh, when I was living in Abu Dhabi, and then we both ended up back here in, in Montreal. He had he had grown up in Montreal before before moving back to the Middle East, where I met him, and then came back here, and eventually we crossed paths again. But um, he's uh, he's a local rapper, man, called the Narcissist, and he's he's Iraqi originally. Okay. Um, and is he is he political like is oh yeah very very much so and i think that was a little bit of um that that might have been i mean i don't want to speak on his behalf but from from our conversations like that's uh that was a little bit of a struggle because a, a lot of times that's what people box you into right right so it uh, you know after after two or three albums it almost became a conscious decision to kind of move away from that um you know not totally drop the narcissist moniker but go by narcy to kind of almost like a, a little reinvention to a more like a more global kind of human you like know. you want to rap about other yeah stuff too. a more a more global perspective he's also grown i mean he's 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 on his second his second child you know knock on wood god bless and that that changes you know that changes your your perspective it definitely on, does so I, yeah i can that, attest to that yeah yeah so uh yeah i mean it, it's funny though it's true uh um like uh, as a filmmaker like i've can count i can i can count if i had like five dollars for every time someone's just told me to go with the ethnic stuff oh dude yeah, like talk about immigration it's insane talk about being it's this insane and, and i can understand why that's an interesting thing to someone who meets you and goes like oh you're from there why don't you talk about there you're yeah. like well yeah but what if i don't what if i just want to be a human and yeah. just talk about whatever it is that i want to talk about why yeah. can't i make a uh, a period piece with like lords and ladies yeah. if i'm from palestine or whatever why do i have to make a 
uh, you know, Gaza Strip uh, like documentary. Yeah, go- going going into comedy, man. I'm I had made a conscious decision. Like there was two things. I didn't I didn't know what to expect. I had like no real ground rules for you know for what I wanted to do because I was I was going into something that I hadn't really prepped for or intended on on going into. But I had like the don't don't pick on the crowd rule right and then no cultural jokes i, I didn't want to do that at that's least. your thing i mean it it changed in year two right when i hit that one year mark um i got a little bit more comfortable on stage and i think i think one thing that kind of drove the 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 need or the urges people would walk up to me and be like I, I i don't totally get it man like they they said you were arab you, you mentioned you were lebanese but you kind of look a certain way and you talk a certain way so like i don't really understand and do you really have a phd by the way like or was that just a joke and it i kind of felt like it kind of messed with people's minds of like you know people's perceptions of maybe what what an arab person looks like or talks like or right. behaves like so i started incorporating some of that into as a joke not, no not my conversations with people but i felt like i had to through my jokes try to tell the audience who i was right and and as i guess as whatever as a minority or a visible minority or cultural other yeah you know, whatever the fuck label you want to put on it you know but as somebody that's different from like the majority of everyone else you just go through certain experiences and and those are inherently funny you know but they're also funny in a way that isn't as stereotypical as it is educational you know so i whatever i've got i've got a joke about how the fact that i'm christian i'm a christian arab like the fact that that just blows people's mind they just don't understand no i've known people for like well over two three four years and every every couple of you know like yo every year at ramadan they're like yo are you fasting this year i'm like dude we've, no. we've been through this i'm catholic <laughs> man <laughs> ask ask me when it's lent time ask me when it's easter but it just doesn't register it's like meeting a black jew it, yeah yeah right you're yeah. like you're, yeah. you're like I, I don't get it and then you then you start explaining yeah. that you know rastafarians are technically yeah considered themselves yeah. Ju- jewish or yeah. at least a lost For me tribe it's black hipsters that just kind of blow. <laughs> like <laughs> wait a minute what happened here yeah so <laughs> do, you, do you feel any negativity but. from the the muslim arabs like when no, they find out all. you're a christian do they kind of make a no, face no not or? at all not at no. all not i know other arabs get it because they know that we're diverse oh, yeah. right they know that there's arab jews that there's arab atheists that there's like all these zoroastrians you know, and shit yeah yeah, yeah. Or like like just little denominations i mean lebanon lebanon you're looking at like at least 40 or 50 different religious denominations for a country that's got four million people like right. that is some religious diversity for that's some ass. fucking uh religious people right there yeah Looking at me wondering, I'm like, I wonder if I can walk up to the fridge or if that's going to make too much noise. And this dude's popping cans. This is a tradition. (laughs) This is a tradition. This dude's popping cans in front of the mic. Like, I don't, I actually have one in the freezer, man, if you you don't mind. Yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, it's all good. So, yeah, okay. Um, So, uh, so but no, yeah, other Arabs Christian actually Arab understand, right? They're like, yeah, of course, you're Christian Arab. Like, yeah, that's normal. Not Coptic, you know. though, right? That, no, no, I'm not. No, but I, that's what I was going to say is even like within Christianity, like I'm Catholic. I'm, I'm actually like a small denomination of Catholic, uh, Catholicism where I don't know what, we, what you would call it in English because in, in French it's Syriac. And I think in English it's just Syrian Catholic, okay, which sounds kind of weird to have it named after the whatever. But we, uh, we, do, we still do Mass in Aramaic. Uh, Wicked. Yeah. 
So when I go to church, yeah, I go to church. I understand that's nothing. some end of day shit. Yeah, I understand absolutely <laughs> nothing. Here, we'll do it by the mic as well. There you go. Hopefully there you go. It doesn't just you have like, to say fire in the hole when it's yeah, fire in the hole, fire in the hole. <laughs> yeah, man. So, <clears throat> uh, is that important to you, the religious thing? Is religion like are you observant? Uh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I, w- I would say I'm, I'm whatever. It sounds new agey. I'm, I'm spiritual, man. I believe that there is a God. Okay. I believe that there is like a higher power that it's n- not just You're like agnostic, what? maybe. Yeah, maybe, you know, like, but I, I don't, um, I do feel very at peace in church. I do like at times of like deep, like unrest. I like to go sit in church. I don't, I don't like to go in mass time, but I like to go sit in a quiet church. Oh. There's a sense of peace that I get. And I was shocked when I moved to North America, like when I moved back, I guess, to North America as an adult. I was shocked when, like, I walked up to a church and I'm like, it's locked. <laughs> what the? They, you know, they, <laughs> they they're closed. Hours. Yeah, they have yeah. opening hours and Lebanon is just always open. Right. So you could, like, literally go. Four in the morning. And, yeah, you pray, yeah, just go sit in, a, sit in a church just in silence and meditate or do whatever it is. That, See, I, I thought churches so, were open around the clock, but I guess they, yeah, that's no, an old-timey tradition. Yeah. So um, it's like n- a breather space for him. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, we have a friend who started a business based on this very idea of like just having quiet, finding quiet spaces in the middle of an urban center, and he's doing very well for himself. But that's because there is a there. I, you I, you do it yourself. There's a need there sometimes to just like go to a tranquil place. Yeah and just hear nothing yo cities are mad loud yeah. cities are mad loud and we don't even realize how loud they were. i took um i took a cross-country trip with some friends in an rv for like uh just under four weeks like in that in that 24 to 26 day pocket and uh it was so tough to readapt to like the city like the uh, the 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 city noises oh, like basically. once you've been on the highway once you've been well once you've been out by lakes and and yeah. rivers and out in nature for for almost a month you know essentially like three and a half four weeks coming back you start to realize how loud like traffic actually is once you've been right. in the city for a while it's just it becomes background noise or you go to the but, country for the first time yeah like, you realize how quiet it is you're yeah. like yo this is eerie when it do i get killed like out. who's who's busting in with an right. axe like, like i've lived in my in, in the city my whole life and yeah. whenever I, I go out to the country for an extended period of time I, it's cool for the first couple of days, but then you're yeah. like, then you're like uh, looking out the window, like, uh, is there a car? Is there a car? I don't feel safe. <laughs> Why isn't there a car going by the house? Yeah. It took me a couple of weeks to readapt to like the, the city noise. It was it was actually like very aggressive. You right. Know? It was just something like this is too much. I have to go back home. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have to retreat. <laughs> like pull back, pull back. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well we kind of felt that effect, right? Uh, when we we went on this little uh, trip, uh, to be clear, Rich and I did not go up to a cottage together. <laughs> <laughs> so for people listening this. right now who think this was really sweet, no, we did not. Uh, we we it was uh, a big group of friends. Yes, we have uh, refer email address. We can confirm. We have proof. <laughs> there are photos. There are photos. Yeah, uh, and we. <laughs> I just I was so relaxed when we got back. Yeah. I didn't realize how relaxed I was. Like I walked into the house. I dropped off my bag and I went out on my balcony in the back and my neighbors were like barbecuing next door and I was just like, hey guys. They're like, whoa, what the fuck is up with this guy? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm usually in a good mood, right? But they're like, yeah. I'm like cartwheeling and shit. I'm like, hey, what do you do to do? Like, want a beer? Anyone want a beer? And they're like, whoa, okay. You went away for this weekend, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, yeah. It felt great. 
Yeah, you don't you don't realize. It's like the the frog in the water, like turning the, the temperature heat. up slowly. Right. Yeah. Wait, the frog in what water, man? <laughs> you know, you ever heard that that no. expression? Like, no. if you put have a put a frog in the water and you turn the the temperature up slowly, it'll boil to death. And if you try to put a frog into hot water, it'll jump out, sort of thing. Like it's like oh it, really? Yeah, like it'll oh shit. It's like no, a very elaborate. Like, okay. You don't realize how things kind yeah. of accumulate slowly over time, and like yeah. Yeah, you can get to that. Yeah, that's true. Place. Yeah, I tried to write a bit about that actually when I was working on material when I, when when because he had introduced me to that expression, and I'm like, who the fuck tried that? Yeah, <laughs> right. Who the fuck tried that out? Like, who went like frog in boiling water? Like, what 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 kind of person you know actually s- starts to playing with that? Like, hey, I wonder what would happen. I guess it's the same kid that used to uh, what is it uh, feed rice to the pigeons or right? Is that a <clears throat> There's all these or kid animal torture things that we don't talk about anymore. <coughs> yeah. They were commonplace. It's like, right. fuck it, this is boring. I'm going to go shoot up a school. Yeah. <laughs> That's like what it, that was like what it evolved into. Exactly. And it, in our day, we, we just killed a couple of pigeons. And that or was like it. magnifying glasses. The magnifying the, glasses the and insects. And That's yeah, a classic one. I never was <coughs> able to make it work, but I did. I did try a few times. So when are you getting on stage, man? Oh man, you know what? That's that's when I first met you. You were like, "Yo," and you were pushing him. You're like, "Yeah, you should, you should." Yeah, and it's it's still happening, man. It's just like uh, <laughs> I don't, don't want to hear about it's still happening. I want to hear about when it happened. Cool, cool. Well, last <laughs> time he's got, he's got a few bits. He's got a okay. few. I've got bits. material. I've yeah, got okay. material. Uh, last time John was here, John Saint Godard, I was Who? telling him, uh, "Yeah, yeah." He's a really, <laughs> really, really well-known comedian. <laughs> Uh, but not by you, apparently. Shout out to John. <laughs> we were John talking is, to John. John I was, awesome. Yeah. I was telling him, like, hey, I'm thinking maybe, you know, two, one or two weeks from now. And he's like, yeah, man. He's like, maybe you want to, like, now it's the Just for Laughs Festival. So maybe this is not the best time for yeah. you to go up. Because it's just, it's a heavy thing. But he's like, as soon as that's sort of out there, uh, I would suggest that you go up at that point but he's like you he's like just blah 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 just go up on there just yeah there. just go dude i don't it's like not fear a, it's not fear mm-hmm. yeah okay and okay. i'm not i'm gonna strike where the iron is hot <laughs> okay. and all that it's not fear yeah, yeah. right yeah okay but i understand man i kind of i kind of made the decision i think i made the decision that i was gonna go on stage i made that decision around new year and i was like i'm gonna go on stage at some point in this calendar year and i kind of left it i kind of left it alone and i think around like the tail end of summer that year like around september i started telling people i think i started telling like a lot of people so that people would ask me about it and then i couldn't back out like i kind of figured that was the only way that gonna keep you honest yeah exactly like yo i'm gonna do stand-up and do and if you have enough people being like yo you've been talking about this for a while like yeah. what's up um but then one day out of sheer frustration i just kind of emailed a couple of i needed like an outlet i emailed a couple of a couple of clubs and then that was that was a wrap so it, it was within the calendar year but it was november november of that year so i kind of okay. milked it i kind of <laughs> milked it for all it was worth but sure uh, like, you still got it done within the new year, so it's, yeah, it counts. I did it, it still counts. your resolution I rules. I think it, I think you're safe. Yeah, I don't even know that it was like a distinct <laughs> resolution. I just thought of something funny, and in that moment, like it was, and I was like, I, I might need to say that on stage. You <laughs> I'm, know, honestly, and, I could go up next week. I can yeah. cool. I'm cool like that. Like I can go up. I'm not saying like my shit is you know doesn't stink, uh, but. It's not for once because I have bullshitted my way out of ideas before. Like I was super hot for something and right. I just kind of let it go. But this is definitely not one of those things. Um, but and you've, uh, you've, you're, you're a natural talker too. I guess. Yeah. 
You okay. have a podcast. Yeah. You know, that's a yeah. good start. I have a podcast on, on yeah. phase three. See, he likes, to, <laughs> he likes to bust my balls here. So, uh, well, we met, that's how we met you, right? Like, we, we were going doing some kind of research for Jason. Thing. Yeah. So we were like, oh, okay, was that why you were at the Comedy yeah. Works? You we were, were recording like, already. Let's see. Yeah. Recoin, we were like, let's recoin. see if there's some interesting comics. We, we were like scoping out the, you know. Yeah. But it wasn't cool. really about the, the comics. We just wanted to, like, kind of immerse ourselves, you know? We wanted to see what it was like, what the environment was like. Yeah, we yeah. wanted to see if there's like we knew there was a scene, right? And we had individually and maybe even together, it's caught a show here and there. Yeah, and we know a couple of people who have been gone up and stuff. Um, do you know Joey, uh, the uh, Green Phantom? Do you know him, Joey Fitzmorris? No, no. So I can't say. That do you I remember can. when Jake the Snake came to the Comedy yeah. Works? Right. Yeah. So he opened for him. He was that okay. wrestler dude with the mask or whatever. Okay. And he does a little bit of stand up too. Okay. So. It's not yeah, so much. Great. Yeah, he was, he was. And he's been on the podcast too. And he was my neighbor for 10 years. And he was neighbor for 10 years. So wait. Shout out to Joey. Shout out to Joey. So you started doing comedy when? when like how many years ago? Uh, like a year and a half. Well, d- roughly like November. No, this November will be two years. So like whatever, okay. a year and a year and seven months, call it. But you have yeah. such a relaxed attitude. It seems like you've been doing it longer. I don't know. If, if I, I appreciate I that, man. I mean, I, I do have a bit of a comfort with, with public speaking. Like my father, my father, um, my father worked for foreign affairs, man. My father gave a lot of speeches. And as a kid, always to see somebody like giving speeches and at a podium, like I grew up around a picture of my, my dad got to give a speech to the Pope. To the Pope, right? To two popes, actually, to John Paul and then the fuck, I'm uh, Benedict. Benedict. No, Benedict. Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't right. Um, so wait, your dad worked for Canadian government? Uh, Lebanese. Lebanese man. My government. dad's yeah, okay. the Lebanese. He's a foreign affair like like delegate minister. But yeah, my father's a, a diplomat. He diplomat. Was, yeah, okay. he, he was a diplomat. Well, he's. I mean, he's to, he's retired, which is why I'm using the past he had tense. The fortunately, could park anywhere. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, but so growing up, we we bounced around everywhere, right? That's why I got to grow up in in the states and then different parts oh, of the Middle East now. and the okay. Gulf. And every three four years was was a different was a different um, country, and. And that was very influential to hear my like to see my dad go up and give speeches to see pictures of him like the the Pope man it's the Pope like you're seven years old you see a picture of your dad like it would it that what was, was like he telling very, the Pope like what was the deal uh, um at the time my dad was part of a delegation to the Vatican so I don't know exactly what you know exactly Middle East related what, very likely possibly yeah, yeah most likely right so that that was the um, that was John Paul II in in the Vatican and then. Um, Pope Benedict uh, visited Turkey, and my dad was the the Lebanese ambassador to Turkey at the time, and they were looking for somebody to speak on behalf of the the Turkish diplomatic corps. My father had the most seniority out of all diplomats in terms of having been in Turkey the longest. Okay, and so they they gave him the opportunity to to speak to the Pope on their behalf, and and he did that. Uh, but so that like that public speaking element, you know, was always around it growing up. For whatever reason, in in school, man, I used to like before podcasts were a thing, right? I used to like to try to. I think when um, I didn't really have access to the internet at home until I was like twenty two, maybe twenty three. Like when I came to, I guess when I came to Ottawa and Lebanon, we didn't. It was available, but you'd go to a cafe to use it, you know, campus access or whatever. But didn't have it at home. When I had access to it, I started downloading speeches speeches yeah i used to love like for whatever reason like the i used to love listening to people's cadence um That's you know not listening what you can do yeah exactly well more more of the you know more of the 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 malcolm x than jfk right, right? i just stumbled <laughs> on i just like listened a, to that whole speech the one that they always quote they ask not what you can do yeah. for, right 
That is the dumbest line out of that whole thing. Oh, they always do that, man. They'll always pick like one or two, one or two lines and kind of flip the, you know, like the whole, the whole like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, the Malcolm being like really revolutionary, Martin being really pacifist. Martin had a lot of mm, he had some semi-violent, you know. Yeah. yeah, he had he had a, that that was that streak was there in some of that rhetoric. Um, especially his stance against Vietnam, you know, and, and Malcolm wasn't as like, you know, wasn't as conflict driven or as incendiary as, as he was made to, as he was made to see. There's always these truncated meanings depending on absolutely what fits like the narrative, the best. That one is the sound bites. The JFK one is apparently like, like now that I see it is actually particularly heinous because that one bit is taken out of context. Yeah. And if you listen to the rest of the speech, it has in fact a very... Uh, intelligent passive indictment of the establishment kind yeah. of tone through it yeah where it's like very polite very educated very calling for peace and reason and science and friendship and community but clearly stating that the war needs to end and we need to aspire to what we what we want to be and yeah. not just fight amongst ourselves and there's all this anti-establishment rhetoric in it or yeah. i should say not even rhetoric but just like sentiment sentiment in it yeah and then they just clipped off this little bit and it's yeah. like it's just because it sounds like it's reaffer it's it's uh calling for blind obedience to the state right yeah. right are, are you a fan of basketball any of you i'm uh, not you? so much right no. there's the the famous like alan iverson rant the like the practice practice we, we you know we're out here talking about practice and that quote that got taken out of context, right? Which was they just quote him as saying practice, practice, yeah, practice. practice, practice. Like I'm not here to talk about practice, and the, the whole media spin was the this is a lazy player that doesn't have the leadership qualities and whatever. But that whole interview, like the whole thing, was him going in there being like, "Yo, I'm going through a really rough time. Like my best friend just died. Like I don't really want to be here. You know, I'm here anyway." And somebody was like, so, you know, about practice. And he was like, yo, practice? <laughs> we were really going to be talking about practice. Ah, uh, okay. Right? Uh, but just, they you made know, look truncated. Like an yeah, of course, truncated. Out of context. Yeah. So uh, uh, you so, started listening to speeches. Yeah, I started listening to speeches. And then uh, eventually, man, I mean, life life is weird. You know, I never really, never really, like, I'm a teacher. You know, I've been teaching for, I've been teaching for at least like a dozen years now. English? And, uh, no, I teach university classes and, and all education, all education courses. So like uh, different, you know. Um, Can you give us some examples? Like teach, yeah, so teacher education classes, but different different areas. So I've taught like a schooling and society course, you know, like the different f- social functions of, of schools and schooling. So you're teaching uh, teachers. Yeah, I'm a right. teacher of teachers, kind of. That's yeah. Cool. Um, with with time now, I've gotten to teach like uh, you know multiculturalism in education or whatever. Um, with time, I've I've gotten to teach uh, masters masters classes, and so because you, you actually have a PhD. Yeah, I do. I do in in, in wh- education. In education. In education. Uh, well, I'll actually I'll get back to that in in a split sec because not okay. like traditional education, but but whatever. Um, the masters classes are interesting because you won't just get teachers; you'll get people that are administrators as well. So so now you're talking about education and policy um, and not just they like tend classroom. to be divided, right? Those two, uh, not those two necessarily cores? divided, but I mean, just two different, uh, you know, almost like two different subgenres of, of or two different like areas of education. Whereas, you know, um, also like the undergrads just really want just the hands on skills, like teach me how to teach. And I'm like, I can't really teach you how to teach, you know, right. like I can teach you to think how to think about teaching. And that's where we kind of get caught as like a faculty of education between 
you know, do you teach people like, okay, you go into the classroom and do ABC, you know, classroom management is, you know, one, two, and three, or do you just teach them to, you know, how to think theoretically about education and then apply that to, to different, you know, different areas. The last, uh, the last little bit, I've been super lucky to, to teach like a media and education class. So I've been teaching that at the undergrad level for like three, four years, and then I've kind of quote unquote graduated to Why the master's level. Why do you say lucky? Because what, what, it's a great course. I love that course. Like I've been fortunate enough, and that's not something that you know just got offered to me. It wasn't like it was an area of interest going in. Somebody was like, "Hey, you want to teach this course?" I'm like, "Cool, media education. All right, yeah, I'll do that." <laughs> but it's it's almost. Um, I've had to teach basic media skills to be able to, sorry, I had to learn those skills to be able to, you know, teach. I've always been an inquisitive person, but like I've had to learn basic audio editing, you know, basic video editing, um, you know, and then and then read like media theory that I wouldn't have otherwise read, you right. know, and, and, and that's that's kind of opened um, opened my eyes or like exposed me to a world that I may not have, you know, kind of like I've always known it was there, but um I'm a bit of a technophobe, man. I still, I still use really? chalk. Yeah, I still use chalk. Okay, I love chalk. Your, like I will pick. Your colleagues do not. No, no. Really? If if I'm in a classroom that has a whiteboard, I'll ask to be reassigned to a classroom with a chalkboard. <laughs> and when I teach the media course the first time, people are supposed to like, dude, you know, you have a projector, right? Like, there's yeah. there's PowerPoint, there's Prezi. I'm like, no. And I, I, I don't know. I like to get my literally get my hands dirty. Like, I will go wash my hands on every break. I basically. feel you. I but, feel you. Yeah, yeah, it's like some writers who are still sort of uh, sticking to like uh, analog. Uh, typewriters and stuff like that you know i'm not talking yeah. about you that just the hipsters here yeah. nostalgists but like literally people are like yeah i don't really feel that i'm uh a good example would be a foley artists right like the, the the real foley guys who do the sound effects for movies where you could now replace this whole field with just dudes with computers right but there's these guys that still insist on you know having like uh leather straps and pieces of car and like jumping up and down in car doors in the studio and like getting those sounds yeah. creating because there's that physical contact so that yeah just like yeah. writing like, yeah i don't remember the last time i wrote something with a i pen. always i still see i that's fascinating to me is as like my entry into comedy like i, I watch everything man i'm, I'm like I, I love this so much and there's just like i'm almost i'll get sick of it eventually there'll be some frustration but so far it's still like it's been an extended honeymoon phase like i haven't expected it to last this long as far as how well things have been going knock on wood and then yeah. just this desire to keep learning but um, so I'll watch everything from how people hold a mic to where they write yeah. their jokes. And I'm fascinated by, I would have expected a lot more people to use pen and pad, but a lot, it's, it's the phone, you know, I it's picked the up phone on that a one. Lot I saw more. You. Yeah. I do the pen and pad still. I but, can't, uh, the mic work. I saw that you were doing something with the mic. Okay, uh, that you were holding in a certain way. Yeah, I what was that. I doing? Because my um, mic, the mic is my telltale sign. How I'm holding the mic will tell you how comfortable I am. And I'll, I'll just ask you what you noticed, and then I'll okay. share. It like you were that. kind of, uh, if I recall correctly, you kind of had it resting on your chin. Yeah, like just below your lip. Yeah, and you you kind of sat down. Uh, and the, I think you're the only one who actually used the stool. Yeah, I like the stool. And doesn't just move it around. Yeah, right. which is kind of a comedy thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you kind of sat down and you kind of just rested it here. Yeah. And, and you hang you hung back. A yeah. Lot. Yeah. The, so that's the the lower I hold the mic, the more comfortable I am on stage. 
the more comfortable. Uh, yeah, if I'm holding it like really high by the crown, I'm I'm kind of just I always try to rest it just because I talk very low and I need it. Like I also noticed this like when I first started comedy and would just hold the mic like traditionally, like just far not not rested on my chin. Um, my hand would shake. Mm. My hand would shake and obviously nerves but i knew the audience couldn't pick up on it because it was a very slight shake but it would throw me off because in the corner of my eye my hand is shaking so i would naturally have to just rest it against my chin to stop the shake okay but then the more comfortable i am the lower i'll go if i'm holding the mic with three fingers like my my index my middle and my thumb like an ice cream cone yeah like i'm totally (laughs) feeling myself at that point you know (laughs) like i am totally in my zone i'm enjoying myself and that's it rarely happens but if you ever see me holding like the the three finger you know grab from the very second time i've seen you maybe that's like i'm just i that's like i never want to get off stage in the zone yeah i think the first time we we saw you they were like closing off the show and they're like oh no no, wait hold on a second we got that's possible too i'm a fiend man i'll I'll go anywhere for a set i'll I'll sometimes like i'm like yeah you you know you got a set you got a set what's what's the deal man can i hop on can (laughs) i get on at one point like um i think it was like the the three months in a comedy it was like february march like the thick of like the cold and you know winter winter season everybody's getting sick I actually sent out messages to all like my comic colleagues. I was like, uh, "Yo, if anybody gets sick, you can't make a show. This is my number. I'll hop in like with no notice. That's pretty <laughs> smart. You can just That's yeah. Smart. I got a few. It wasn't like you know, but I must have gotten like three, four, three, four spots. You know, within the, a few. Are weeks those coveted things? That. Spots are they coveted? Once you, I'm not talking about the open mics now. I'm talking about once you're in. Spots the are always coveted. Spots, spots are always coveted, man. Um, you know it's it's stage time stage time's almost a currency for comics like we don't we don't we rarely get paid or when we do it's it's not great pay but i mean the the payoff is is you're given an audience you're given a stage you're given the opportunity to practice your craft um and does it lead to exposure for real yeah although i mean that there was a meme that was circulating like a few weeks back like death by exposure right like eventually you have to say no i mean going back going back to to so like my uh my friend i i had mentioned earlier like the narcissist at one point he was like yo dude i gotta stop doing free shows and he stopped doing free shows and that's when he started getting paid to do shows you know right. but at, at some point you have to balance out like you know what you feel like your art is worth what you feel like your value as an artist is worth versus like the opportunity to you know to to gain some of that that exposure um i know some comics are are a little pickier about the stages that they do you know some comics won't do certain mics or they're like yeah i'm not gonna get anything out of that i feel like you can get anything out of any mic you know especially if it's just honestly just hearing yourself say something out loud you know you'll know whether it makes sense or not maybe sometimes i'll go into a set and be like one point i noticed how fidgety i was you know so i'm like okay this set i'm gonna practice not moving I can only like rotate. I can pivot like in basketball terms. Uh-huh. I can pivot one foot to the right or one foot to the left, but I can't take a full step. I can't travel while I'm on stage. Uh, okay, I picked up cool. my dribble and I got six minutes of just, you know, 
pivot one side pivot the other and that's it you know another set i'm like i'm gonna try keeping it in the mic stand like all set long and seeing how that works use the stool use the whatever i feel like you can get something out of anything is a big is a big thing yeah that's that's what i'm slowly learning to to do now i think like i cycled through there's different approaches right like some some comics might do like that same like five to seven to eight minutes for a year for their first year in a comedy and just do that same material over and over and over and then until it's like really polished and really mastered um i get bored man i I need to cycle through i need to cycle through things and a lot of things i don't end up keeping i'll do for like a month or two i'm like this is garbage you know um i usually know like within within like i'd say three four five times i know whether i need to chuck it and never ever say it it on the laughter that it gets on the on the response um yes and no like laughter's a really laughter is something that i haven't really totally um kind of figured out how i feel about laughter because sometimes obviously as a comic like laughter is your metronome and it's it's your gauge as to what's funny right like took a long time for me to not step on laughter and talk over laughter like wait until the laughter subsides before you before you go to the next line i see a lot of pros make that yeah that's that's what i mean by metronome it almost it's your timing you know that's what that's your rhythm um and and laughter is the gratification that every comic is looking for right you're going on stage it's it's an auditory uh approval you know an auditory expression of approval but on the flip side to that sometimes you know things are funny and they don't laugh and it's like fuck them fuck them not like not like fuck them in a in a fuck you for not laughing but like dude that's still funny i don't care that you didn't laugh you know, right, like so I'm not gonna let this. I know I, I'm confident enough in this material to know that, like your the lack of laughter, I'm not gonna explore it. It's yeah, just, fuck it. Yeah, I know. This but is you funny. can never like sometimes I feel that. I mean, I said that very like vindictively. I'm like, yo, fuck, you know. But I, you never let that. I'm always appreciative of anyone that's sitting down and giving me like five to seven to ten minutes of their undivided of course, attention. Dude, I completely you know like this. it's yeah. it's a total I, I know I've I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of people come out and be like, oh the audience sucked, you know, or oh you guys, you know, or not not dude, the audience is there. Any audience is a blessing. It'd be like two or three people, you know, that are drunk, they're there, you know, that's a privilege. Like that's a privilege in it in itself. So John was talking about the each room having its own kind of personality and yeah, then, like that's everybody's kind of too. like unconsciously decided like okay well on a scale of one to ten or like we're only laughing to a six tonight that's very thing, yeah you know, that that'll or, happen that'll happen sometimes but yeah. you just have to work with it man like that's your job as a comic that's your job you don't you haven't earned i don't feel like like i haven't earned the benefit of the doubt the other thing is like um that's interesting what you just said yeah i haven't earned it man like at the end of the day if somebody knows who you are and they're buying a ticket to to your show they're coming to see you right yeah they're coming to see you but if more now than ever yeah but if somebody if somebody buys a ticket to a comedy show that you happen to be on they're here to see comedy yeah. They're not here to see you. And that's why they, they, right? they don't remember who and said what Yeah, exactly. Right? They remember what's funny. They don't remember your name. They don't remember, like, you know, they'll remember, like, a few things here and there. But your job is to make people laugh, man. And and at first, it's it was weird. Like, that first year, I was like, oh, I don't know how important laughter is. Sometimes I know something's funny, and they might not laugh, or it might not be your crowd, or I have a certain... 
I sometimes, whatever, like we were talking about hip hop, like I have certain hip hop colloquialisms that sometimes the audiences don't get. You yeah, know? it sounds so, a little bit American sometimes. A little bit, yeah. you know, and that throws that throws people off as well. Plus the other thing, like I'd, I'd mentioned before, like when I, when... When somebody introduces me or I mention that I'm Middle Eastern, you know, and then and then they they hear how I talk and they're like, yo, but you sound American. How is that possible? You know, when I learned that when people are wondering that about you, it takes away from the attention that they're giving you on stage, yeah. which was where the impetus or the drive to kind of address that was. Mm-hmm. Like, well, well, why don't I just tackle this? I, it's kind of like the elephant in the room, right? right you walk right. in and everybody's thinking something like this dude doesn't look Arab, you know, or this mm-hmm. dude doesn't sound Arab or whatever prejudices that not worried you know yeah (laughs) pre-assumptions that people have like i just don't fit that box kind of so why not address it you know and and i've managed to do it in in a way that i mean so far at least i feel has been fairly autobiographical it's all my personal experiences and so that makes it about me that doesn't make it about arabs right that makes it about how i experience being an arab versus you know what i think an arab is or what other people think like right. it it just makes it very it just makes it a lot more manageable too on on that individual level like these serial killers are supposed to be so shrewd and cunning and everything you know at least according to the tv movies i've seen and uh, but then when it comes time for the grave they get a little hasty you know <laughs> Well, there you go, three twigs and a leaf. That ought to do it. That doesn't look like Janice anymore. Don't recall Janice ever wearing three leaves and a twig. Oh, well. Guess I'll come home and await the authorities now. I can't totally figure out, like, the how to order them, but it's, uh... I'd say Chris Rock has the belt. And then you, do you see, feel he still has a belt? In my book, I'm talking about my personal. I'm right. not talking about like obviously he hasn't had a special in like five years. Yeah, you yeah, know, and, and, and he fell off a bit. I found in a, in his letter, but I feel like that's a pattern with with comedians. Once oh, they that second special for me is always weaker than the a first. lot of people. I just had ironically, man, my friend, uh, my friend out in Ottawa. Um, he grew up in New York, right? And he's uh, he's he's a bit older. He's in his late forties at this point. And I just get a text from him. He loves Chris Rock. I just get a text from him. He's like, "Yo, Chris Rock is a is a coon, man. He sounds like oh, a coon." No. And I'm like, "Yo, what the? You know, you can't say that about Chris." <laughs> and he was yeah and but he was like dude he plays up like this he's like this dude grew up in brooklyn he's got like a southern you know a southern plantation accent almost but so there's a lot of that rap that he catches like from here and there as people weren't a big fan of like the oscars you know the oscars bit and whatever and and i was kind of lukewarm i was kind of lukewarm on that myself but it goes it would go like Chris Rock, Bill Burr, and Mitch Hedberg in in some order of or another. I feel you know? like it's not even fair to put them in any kind of order because they, we tend to like comics um, in a in for different reasons, right? Yeah. For for there's a thing that they do that we love, and for me, Burr is this the he just to me is the the funniest irate guy. Yeah. Like the 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 guy that's got anger management issues but he's he's reined them in because he wants right. to be part of society yeah but that frustration is in him and he makes and then just when you think he's down in the lowbrow 
he'll drop this like brilliant observation yeah social and, observation. and I, I i appreciate see i'd always looked at i was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day and i'd, I'd always kind of looked at bill burr for me it's like everybody's like oh he's you know like the new louis ck and i'm like nah. he's actually really like a louis ck meets chris rock like there's a lot of chris rock in bill burr and then my friend pointed this out he was like louis will tell you how it is you know this is how things are and then bill burr will be like hmm why are things the way they are right like why why are things this way and he's like why can't they be this way you know why can't they be like another way why is it so complicated yeah his thing yeah is his overall like if you could say that a comedian has a one overarching bit that is their entire sort of yeah contribution him it's always like you know he'll bring up a mundane subject and be like you know what you know this is what i don't get yeah what is it what the fuck is the deal with this guy and why does he have to be such a right cunt about it and And then like and then the women you know fair enough he'll uh he'll 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 play up a little bit of the misogyny just for fun you know but originally brought him up because i feel like people don't know don't notice this but he's got this mic technique that is absolutely brilliant you hear it more in his podcast than you hear it on stage but he does this interplay where he yells away from the mic right uh-huh. right i love comics that do that i just i don't i don't ever i haven't ever yelled on stage so i haven't had the opportunity to do the like the pull the mic away the pull the mic away yeah like that but he does this uh, the other oh. technique that i really like and i'm not sure he innovated it is like uh, when he's describing the how women fight which is yeah. probably one of the funniest things he ever has ever done right and he's describing this argument with a girlfriend and he said some shit and then he kind of goes into this defensive pose and he yeah. goes and he 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 uh acts out the hits with the tapping yeah. the mic on his yeah. body yeah and i really do think a lot of that is the acting man yeah i really do think like the, the the whole like the whole breaking bad experience the whole you know like he got a few acting gigs here and there and i really do think that's that's helped his his comedy maybe like, positive or it just could be that those like irish american type dudes uh are just they kind of there, there's a bit of a caricature to what they the way that yeah. they talk you know yeah and for them it's the way they talk right but i think burr is smart enough that he's realized that that's kind of a novelty in yeah. la and uh, you know like when they hear an angry kind of bostonian or just even like just a east coast irish angry guy right to an la crowd that's really funny because they tend to be more laid back and they're not as like uh, chomping at the bit as uh, East Coasters, uh, yeah. you know, with the weather and traffic and shit like that. Sure, LA traffic is fucking horrible, but there's that old like ocean sun sun thing, yeah, that makes him an alt. I think he knows it now. Yeah, that to be kind of a irate Irish pub dude is kind of a it gets it gets people laughing. Yeah. Know? it's uh regional regional differences and regional crowds are always are like you know the the regional differences between crowds are always interesting and i haven't had like enough opportunities to experience that outside of maybe like ottawa and toronto yeah right what's like what's the most most different crowd that you've ever played to i don't know ottawa ottawa is super conservative it's a weird time yeah ottawa ottawa was the first time i got booed on stage oh yeah ottawa was the oh. first time i got booed on stage you remember I was what doing, it was that set him yeah up? i was doing a series of shows man and it's i had a joke that i wrote that in retrospect is really not the most original joke like at, at first i was like yeah i'm surprised nobody's ever you know nobody's ever said this or thought of this or whatever 
and um and then i did it a few times i'm like this isn't that you know whatever i have i've like i've since long retired that joke right but it was um I was talking about the whole process of becoming Canadian and having to study for the national anthem and then, you know, uh, finding a typo, right, in, in, the, in the lyrics. And it was like, you know, our home and native land, shouldn't that be our home on native land? On native land, land yes. Right? And uh, half the room kind of, you know, tepidly clapped. Oh, but in Ottawa. <laughs> but there was, there was yeah, there was like audible Ooh. boos. There was audible boos. And I'm stubborn enough that the next day, obviously, instead of, I mean, the, the, the rational thing to do would be like, <laughs> that joke didn't work here yesterday. I'm not going to do it again. I'll find something else, right? Like, you feel the crowd out. That first night's a little bit like that first round in a boxing match where you kind of, you throw a few jabs, you know. You tested. Yeah, you kind of just, you're warming up. You're loosening up a bit. And, um, and I'm like, nope, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> you know i'm gonna That's do amazing. it again and i got nothing it like dead silence which is and better I, than booze which than was booze. better than booze but it i actually addressed that i'm like all right cool oh for two oh for two on that joke in ottawa you know cool we'll get through this you know and uh, i can't remember honestly whether i did it the third night or not but i do remember coming back um from that trip i took the bus like straight off the bus went like went like right to a show uh, hopped on stage and I'm like I'm doing this fucking joke you and know and it got a yeah it got a laugh and that was almost like oh, okay you know you breathe a sigh of like I breathe a sigh of relief you right know? there's like, something right, to this cool, there's all. it's it's kind of there but yeah so you do learn you know learn different crowds um Toronto I felt was a bit of a tougher city and it was awesome to just it was a very big confidence builder to do well in in Toronto the other thing is I think starting in Montreal like I think you you mentioned this earlier you're like yeah you sound you sound American and I'd always been conscious of the fact that I sound very different than you know most people around me or most people that get on stage um i also speak a little lower and slower and uh and i'd always had this insecurity about where the laughs were coming from you know um i i read something i read something in an article like ages ago about like you know you can you can say something funny or you can say funny things you know um, and I just didn't know if, if people were laughing cause I just sounded different. And I, I caught that coming off stage once somebody was like, yeah, I love that guy. He sounds really exotic. I'm like, <laughs> Oh no, you know, like again, like I don't want to be the, you know, I don't want to be the ethnic comic or the exotic. I don't yeah, want to be just, I want the, the material to stand it, alone. Take it, take it all, yeah. Take all but so I guess Toronto, maybe I, I, you know, I can kind of, um, it's, I'm a little less different out there, you know, or at least that was the assumption going in. They, they were and a little less alienated, like they, they understood what you were doing. Like yeah, I mean, there, there's a because it's a little bit more multi. Just in terms of just in terms of like a little bit more of the American influence on me is more palpable in that city than it is in, in a city like Montreal, right. you know, where, you know, there's there's an equal amount of other influences, whereas Toronto, I would say, is maybe more American. It, it is it is the closest to an American city outside of America right. that there America is, to be light. perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, sure. They always you say know. it's New York in 10 years, it's New York in 15 years. Possibly, mm. man, possibly. I mean, it, uh, people people hate it when I say the people by people. I mean, Torontonians, my Toronto friends, always give me flack when I say this. To me, it's like a Chicago. Yeah, it's like a poor man's Chicago. You know, <laughs> it really does. Or a rich man's Chicago? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, you know a but, poor man's Chicago. Yeah, yeah, a poor yeah. man's Chicago, and they hate that. 
Yeah, they do. Well, because anytime an American comes to Montreal, it's like a huge deal, mm. right? Because there's this whole standoffishness a little bit about English, period, uh, yeah. at times. So the only kind of English that's really sort of celebrated and welcome is like if it's a movie star or yeah. some big name artist that that's graces town and in all the papers like oh the american came to, the americans came to see us <laughs> right. because they love our fucking food and our ladies and our nightlife or whatever yeah. does, does anybody ever assume that you're american that you're just here like some on people tour do. or something yeah, yeah some people do some people do a lot of people like just uh even though again like even though i'm like no nah, dude i told you i'm from lebanon <laughs> like oh shit i keep thinking you're from the states like there's just <laughs> and i understand that man like it's not i'm not you know um just from like a, just a weird mix of circumstances you know i got to i got to experience the things that i experienced and i'm sure but you also blessed. have like linguistic intelligence in the sense that you you um you uh very likely i mean you when you were born were you born into a arabic household yeah my parents my parents i mean lebanon is a french colony right. like lebanon is the main language the french is is the secondary language so my parents spoke arabic predominantly and then french fluently and this is kind of funny actually my dad uh my dad's first assignment um was london and he turned it down because like I, I don't really speak english like i can't go to london and then he got you know he got offered montreal and he was like cool I'd, i'll do the french thing and then came out here didn't really understand didn't realize that, that yeah didn't really realize french. it's a completely different french didn't really understand what mm. was going on and had to learn english basically from that so he my parents learn english instead of learning quebecois french yeah he just ended up doing that it's <laughs> like you know this will do yeah it's less daunting yeah this this will do but so yeah growing up around parents my mom didn't learn to speak english in until later on in life um so but yeah then growing up in the states so always being around languages like i'm i'm uh, i'm fortunate you, enough to adapted, be fluent yeah. in in three languages but you, but you could have totally have maintained that that sort of you know lebanese accent or you could have i don't think like it was ever there like I, i i learned to speak english in 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 dc when i was three now oh, there you go so there that's you know, where you so that's where yeah that's a little yeah. bit of where right so there never was a phasing out like i said it's just a weird it's a weird mix of circumstances right like it, it it's almost like a crapshoot that everything kind of lined up that you lived in dc lebanon lived in montreal. dc lebanon montreal ottawa illinois um abu dhabi uh my parents were in turkey for a while so i visited a lot there you know and uh that's mostly Trip. that's mostly it but so every three four years you know lebanon was almost the home base so every 10 years overseas eight to 10 years we'd come back to lebanon for a few years So I'd say I'd lived in Lebanon like half of my life, but never for more than three or four years at a time, right? And was Usually. it weird going to Lebanon? Like, was it, you You were obviously, like, yeah, there's, man, there's some upheaval in that fucking country. Yeah, but I mean, Lebanon was, Lebanon was a trip, man. A lot of these experiences growing up, like, like just kind of warped my understanding of, of literally everything, man. There was just like, it's weird to be in like, to be in like Maryland, to be in like D.C., and then to go to your grandma's place in Lebanon when it's all out war, and she's cooking, and there's bullet holes in the wall. And you're like, Jesus, this is just perfectly normal, right? Or there's like, mm. there's a hole in the wall from like, you know, some form of artillery or like a missile or a piece of shrapnel that must have like flown through the wall. And you could literally see through it. It's the size of a small window, but she's just there cooking, 
you know or she lived on the sixth floor and the um half the balcony was literally like the floor of the balcony was gone it was shot out yeah it was basically they'd had like a a missile a missile kind of hit the balcony so the entire like floor part half of it was gone the railing was still there but like suspended in thin air at like a 45 degree angle and as kids it wasn't even like a don't go out on the balcony it was a go out on the balcony but stay on the safe side where the railing <laughs> or is there still. is no balcony yet. yeah uh-huh. you know like so that kind of warps and then to go back to like you know a north weird. america like where everything is clean and everything feels plastic to me it still does like i never feel fully comfortable here by here i mean like everything wherever i've been artificial. in north america yeah. everything feels superficial yeah man. because whenever something is kind of cracked up we just knock it down here yeah they rebuild it right and yeah. then you go back your grandma's house was probably her grandma's house yeah or was built in at least that that time you know it's it's also like really it's also a very simplistic way to and and i don't mean to demean like anything but even the things like here the things that i worry about are very trivial you know yeah. i'm i'm worried about like a little bit of stress at work or i'm worried about like oh, i didn't get to work out for four days in a row or i'm worried about i didn't get on like the show that i wanted to get on to or i didn't you know blah 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 whereas when about i'm that kitchen yeah whereas when i'm there we're huddled over the radio listening to like names of like the injured and hoping that you know or the names that they're reading out on the radio and hoping that my uncle's name comes out on the injured list and not like the deceased list you know like they read that shit yeah they do as soon as and it's almost a relief to have you know because otherwise you just don't know right right but they if there's been an explosion somewhere or if there's been a you know a bomb's gone off somewhere and there's been casualties or victims or anything they read the names on the radio you know and that's and then you come back so at those experiences to kind of yeah to shuttle to (laughs) shuttle back and forth at a very young age was very weird like i didn't you know i didn't i actually like i know growing up as a kid like that it was very uncomfortable i still remember that discomfort and like not really knowing what was going on like never really know where i never really knew where home was i'd never really understood like where where am i from you know where you know am i here like my family's here but the rest of my family's there like what's going on i remember the first time like i experienced jet lag you know like a seven hour or an eight hour difference i'm like how come i'm awake at three o'clock in the afternoon and i'm tired like these little things are going to school i remember going to school in um i was in abu dhabi and my first day of school like we had uh we had communal um benches right like whatever in class like it was two per desk and you were assigned and the dude next to me um had an indian name but when he came through, he was like light skinned and had blue eyes, but he sounded Indian still. And I'm like, this is confusing. I'm like, I just, yo, dude, I don't mean to be an asshole, but I have to ask, like, <laughs> why do you sound like, yeah, <laughs> like, where are you from? You know, and again, like when you're 13, you just ask, you know, you're not really, you're not fully socialized or conditioned to, you know, think, oh, I can't step on. And he just explained it to me, man. He was like, yo, Indians in the north are like fairer skinned and yeah. we just have different complexion. They may have they may have intermixed with the British yeah British yeah Cuba for sure but I'm like like okay that part I learned later in life yeah. <laughs> but it as a 12 year old or You're as like, a 13 year old I'm like oh you guys are not all alike huh that's cool I, I can I can vibe with that man I can gel with that but it it, it forced me to just accept that yeah just people are people are different even you yeah, know man. that it forced me to assess that at like a very young age and I think that's allowed me throughout these different 
experiences, right? Like being in Lebanon, being in Turkey, being in Illinois. I'm like, yeah, I could get through this, man. It's not. This, I always feel like an outsider, but I always feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. Like I can, I can I, get I can by, relate, yeah. you know? Yeah. I can adapt kind of, so to speak. Yeah. So does like dilapidated, uh, like, uh, you know, neighborhoods or bombed out looking city, cityscape like did that, is that why you like the wire? Is that is that why? You <laughs> <laughs> is that why Baltimore seem seem the like the barrenness? I do like the visual barrenness of of that show, man. Like especially and and going back, like watching it, I think season two was not like was weird. I was like, what are we doing here? Right. Reminded where where is two? everyone? Season two was the docs. Oh yeah, they went all like Polish. Yeah, dock and I'm workers. like, yo, what happened to everyone, man? Yeah. But there was something about the visual, you know, the visual barrenness plus Beirut on the on the you know on the Mediterranean and and whatever. But yeah, that's true. They're both coastal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some neighborhoods actually could be. You could do that game where you confuse if you're looking at. Like no, uh, what's his name? Trevor Noah does that with South Africa and and then and somewhere in the U.S. Yeah. And the bur- two little black kids pulling out like a burned out fridge, and it turns out to be in the U.S. and the yeah. super highways in South yeah. Africa or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, okay. So the the reason, of course, I bring up the wires because this relates back to your PhD. Yeah. Okay. Now you have I to have. explain. <laughs> you, have to, you have to give us a so story. I have a, I have a PhD in education, man, but I I still feel like I cheated my way through it, or I kind of faked my way through that whole process. Um, I uh, I started teaching before the PhD, and I remember I had these whatever I was teaching education courses as well at Ottawa U. I uh, I had a master's at the time. I was doing that on a like on a contractual part time basis, and um, I remember watching The Wire. Man, that thing blew me away. Right, especially season four. Like a lot of what was in season four with the public schooling was a lot of some of the ideas that I had started to kind of play around with. You know, at the time, I'd, I want to say I was like 24, maybe 25. And those were some of my ideas. Like I've, I've, um, I've a background in psychology. I've worked as a drug counselor. I've worked with people like fresh out of jail and substance abuse and legal court issues. And, and then going into education, I started to see a lot of these similarities. I'm like, why do all these places look the same? You know, why do we have all these long hallways and small rooms? And why is, you know, and then I went to a school where we had barbed wires on, on the, you know, on the walls. We had surveillance cameras. Um, I had a student ID, and that's pretty much what you would like, 15357. I haven't used it. Was it. Like jail. Yeah, that's exact. So I'd always looked at, like, those experiences, those life experiences. I'm like, yo, this is kind of weird. This is, like, there's more to school than just let me learn a few things past these. You know, that, that seed had been planted, like, at 14, 15, and I'd always been like, yo, like for three years, I was student one five three five seven. You know, you had like everything was color coded when you went into that big exam hall that had that like four hundred, five hundred students. Number with, two pencil. Yeah, you know, like it was, it was just weird. It had to be, so. uh, it had to be the uh, a certain brand too, right? Because the fucking oh, yeah. early computers would like two uh, B or something. Yeah, if you didn't have uh, the right pencil, yeah. you literally the computer could yeah. not the red the <laughs> yeah, infrared the could not read stuff your uh, and, right. And you had to um, color exactly in the circle. Don't, exactly. Don't yeah. deviate from the circle. Oh, the yeah. shit you used to catch for not like yeah. the kids won't know this <laughs> what we're talking about right now. But we're literally filling out like almost nineteenth century era yeah. punch cards. I used to always guess B. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, I read I read yeah, I read you have to if you're gonna guess, like the guessing technique was like pick a letter and always guess that letter. Just because you're that. likely to yeah. get like a few at least, right? I thought it Whereas was almost if you random always C. 
and I got this information from an 80s movie called Summer School where okay. the, these two slacker <laughs> horror film slacker yeah. guys were like dude just remember the answer is always almost yeah I remember reading in an SAT book like that's how unless you can eliminate obviously if you can eliminate and make like a a guess based on two or three you're better off but if it's a crapshoot always pick one and always go yeah, with that one don't look back yeah if you get okay. four it's it, anyway so so you saw the wire so i saw you, the wire and that yeah. was almost like a validation i'm like oh this is like okay you know i read you read some literature but a lot of these dudes get like outcasted and cast from the profession and they're like you can't do what you're doing anymore you know um ivan illich like de-schooling society was like a big you know like that's the first book i read out of my undergrad after finishing right after finishing my bachelor's and being like this is what i want to this is what i want to read it was it was that book but i started using that in my classes man i edited the the fourth season down to like a 22 minute standalone video that told like the presbalewski and the colvin storyline wow so that if you hadn't watched the show at all you could understand like the narrative arc of each one. Okay, you took out basically the ennui, which was kind of like a, the 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 because that that was kind of the f- one of the first shows if I've ever I've seen where the show actually showed you boring moments. Oh yeah, but right? I love those moments. But that's what was great about there it. There was there was a lot of things that I hadn't noticed about the show that it wasn't until I started doing research after that I was like, oh yeah, they, they left the boredom did in. Do that? No, that that it's I got brilliant. a lot of the like the the not like the no soundtrack. Yeah. Right. It took about four episodes. I'm watching it. I'm like, why is this weird? <laughs> like, mm. was this something different? I was automatically drawn to it because it was different. I couldn't articulate why it was different. But I was automatically like I watched the 60 hours that that show is, give or take, like 60 episodes at 55 to an hour a pop. I watched those in like under three weeks with a full time job, Jesus with a 40 hour a week job. Crazy. Like I managed to, you know, You're running home so you can watch more. Oh, I was watching like half an hour on my lunch break. I'm like, fuck it. I got to get, you know, I got to see what happened. Uh, what happened to Wallace? I experienced that lack of soundtrack thing too. Yeah, it was, and then, they did it with Hell on Wheels. There was there was one episode where they yeah, had, they, nothing. they yeah. deliberately did that. I love and that I, fucking and show. I came out of that episode. I didn't realize why it was so weird. And then I watched the video like yeah. the day after with the yeah. director, and he's like, "Yeah, we decided not to put any we music." Did that exactly. with uh, Six Feet Under too? That weird episode that everyone reacted to, where oh, I have to rewatch that show. One of the characters gets kidnapped. Okay. And the whole episode is about that. And it's just very different from everything else in the show. Yeah. And again, they pull no the music. music off of it, as, as I recall. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so how does so this obsession with the wire connect to... So, yeah. So, I edited that down because I started using some of the scenes. And then I'm like, I want to do more with it. Like, I was I was fortunate enough to have, like, three-hour classes. So I'm like, what I'm gonna, was the reaction to these these supercuts or these that you were doing? Well, that's what I'm... That's what, that, like, the... the the reaction in class like there was always a positive like it always led to fruitful you know i was trying to tackle those ideas with different forms of media prior to that so uh i don't know if you've actually seen the uh the dead press video they schools oh, i'm sure i have right it it comes like it kind of deals with some of that same subject matter but in a much more like uh aggressive confrontational way and like that, addressing the injustices of yeah the, you know like literally the chorus is they schools can't teach us shit you know my people need freedom uh but we're trying to get all we can get all my high school teachers can suck my dick you know like something i might be missing like a, a word or two but that's that's close. close enough so i did that in class once and and those were those were undergrads and those were like hour and a half lectures and 
and I had to scrap the entire next lecture to do damage control for the lecture before, right? Because they, it was like I dropped the bomb, and then I, I didn't have time to clean up the mess in that first hour and a half. So I needed very, to like. I'm, I'm, I'm triggered a bit as an Arab. Yeah. <laughs> you use that metaphor, you know. But um, you meant you you mean like it caused an immediate reaction? Yeah, they, and and an adverse like it's a very emotional, guttural. You know, people are taken aback. It is a very aggressive track. You know, so even though it it deals with that subject matter, it becomes hard to generate dialogue when the first reaction is a very effective, like emotional kind of pullback. Um, so the wire I thought was a lot more accessible to students like people reacted to it in a way that nothing else I'd used as far as like music and media had had kind of you know um, engaged people in, in a very different way and at a very deep, deeper level even if they didn't agree with what was you know even if they didn't agree with what the show was trying to say or what was being portrayed or some of the ideas in there they still were engaging with it and that was really interesting to me and uh when I kind of figured, you know, I've been I've been teaching a few years, you know, I want to do this full time. Can I get a PhD? I'm like, yeah, you guys hear about this wire thing? You think? <laughs> <laughs> think you let a dude write about this? And they were like, sure, go what ahead. Like, what was like your thesis statement? Like- so, like my my actual like research question is, what are the representations of schools and schooling in HBO's The Wire? you know maybe season four and select episodes of season one okay you know initially i wanted to do the whole show i did want to look at like the the this relationship between you know um schools and and all of the other institutions that that the show basically engages did your advisor know what you were talking about yeah yeah and she was very she hadn't watched the show i had i think out of the six people on my committee i think three had watched it and three hadn't um so that was that was also like interesting to have people engage with the show the first for the first time i ended up like basically man my research was to watch the show like pick pick out specific scenes edit those upload them onto a youtube channel i ended up with about like three to four hundred different scenes from seasons one and four i tried to compare what was going on in the schools with like a lot of the D'Angelo and and Wallace and Bodie interactions in season one that were like educational but in a very informal setting, right. you know. Like so street, I was tr- street, yeah, basically. Uh, you know, I also like there was a lot of parallels between. I mean, I did obviously the Colvin and Presbaluski storyline, um, but also uh, Cuddy, right? Because a lot of the boxing, a lot of the boxing was very symbolic of of you know the just struggle. the. Well, not the struggle, but he was he was an informal teacher, and there was a lot of parallels. So right. in Presbaluski in the um, in in like the teacher's room, it's it's a recurring. I mean, I watch it so many times that you start to pick up on these things. But it's in different episodes, right? It's not just like the same scene or like you know two scenes in the same episode. But whenever he's in the teacher's room, there's a poster behind him that says "Get Hands On." you know and it's it's two hands scrubbing and a little bit of that pragmatic education right education by doing and then there's another scene with Cuddy. he's like i'm going to show you with my hands exactly what you don't know you know and like boxing with the bell you know signaling the start of a round the end of a round kind of like schools being like the the beginning of a period the end of a period so i was trying to tease some of those those things out but my real 
my real kind of my real interest was more of like the Colvin storyline with the 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 academic the, the you know the police presence in schools because all of these social institutions you know that are kind of normative institutions right they socialize us into like a way of doing thinking and being um in class I, say again in class. in class yeah right but I, all of the, all of these institutions that I felt traditionally like used to work with one another, right? Referring clients from one institution to the next. I always looked at the, the, I was kind of interested in looking at how schools are becoming kind of host institutions for all of these other institutions, right? So you have a police presence in school. You have psychologists in school, right? You have teachers that serve a lot of the same function. Um, and so I was just interested in drawing some of those parallels. If I had more time and if, if I wasn't trying to finish so quickly and, and, you know, just didn't mind being a graduate school forever, I would have looked at more of the architectural similarities between sure. like, yeah, the you, instant, like the physical plants. There's so much, there's so many know? layers though. Because even in, even in film, like even in film, um, a lot of times, like it's, it's easy to dress like a school up as a prison right and, and or like school prisons. up as a hospital because so i took screenshots for my dissertation right i took screenshots of like the school hallways and then i took screenshots of like the the mental ward when uh, when bubbles was was in there and it's the exact same shot almost you right. know and right. that was just my way of, of drawing because as someone with a background in psychology obviously like just the mass administration of of large groups of people i guess is is what i was really interested in yeah you know, whether through like psychology or education or, or policing. It's yeah. almost the same uh, theory as having, like, one narrow entry point for uh, managing, like, large, like an invading horde kind yeah. of yeah. thing. Like yeah. how Paris is built. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, two, the two main, like, teachers in, in season four, right, Presbaluski and Colvin, they're both they're both former police officers right, right? Mm -hmm. there's when they splice like the when they're when they're showing the the teacher um the professional development with the teachers they splice like the the police you know the police seminars in there as well and and kind of oh, yeah. there's there's it's, a lot there's of those related, parallels yeah. yeah another show i need to go back to yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's it was a heavy show it was a heavy yeah. show and uh then i after the fact i found out that you know a, a great number of if not yeah, most of the people in that show were non-actors. Yeah, uh, really? who had a were actually came from those streets. Yeah, well, or they, the dude, they had the head of the Baltimore. They had the ex-head of the Baltimore Police Department be one of the detectives. Did like, they? How really? cool is that? And he's a recurring That's awesome. character. Really? You know the actual Jay Landsman. You know the fat Jay Landsman. Yeah. There's an actor. The ad, the real Jay Landsman is on the show, right? As, <laughs> as, as a different detective. HBO's like good for they're. That. Yeah, they're, they Generation they did, Kill. Have you yeah. seen that? No, I haven't seen that. I watched the first episode and then never got to never got, got to the rest. It. I did. I did watch the um, Show Me a Hero. Okay. Yeah, I, I did. That. that is really good. Yeah. That is really good. You need to go back to Generation Kill. Yeah, I will. I definitely will. It, it wasn't out of. Yeah. I know it wasn't out of like lack of interest or investment. It was just one of those There's that got lost. Yeah, yeah, it got lost in the mix. Well, I just I bring that one up because it's it's like seven episodes only. Yeah, but it's they're six all or seven, really great. And now and now probably looking back, ninety percent of those actors are like Hollywood darlings now, uh, but were unknowns at the time. Right. But it in, does in fact. Uh, you know, remember Fruity Rudy, the the like metrosexual soldier? Um, oh, no, I don't remember anything. There's like, I, I literally watched like the episode once, like right. when it dropped. And then I was like, all right, cool. I'll catch up with this later once, you know, and then I just there's never. this like super ripped, uh, like metrosexual 
possibly gay dude on okay. the squad, and they call him Fruity Rudy, but nobody fucks with him because he's like he's the strongest, biggest guy <laughs> in the and like in the morning, he runs laps in the desert with, with all the gear, all his gear on. And, and other people's gear <laughs> other people's gear and he's like but he's he's like super powerful but then he also like grooms his eyebrows and he keeps telling people how like you know with your complexion you should really use this cream that would like hydrate yeah. and with the clip-on bow tie it looked like the the chippendale yeah kinda. he totally looks like a chippendale that went to war right yeah but you wouldn't want to fuck with him <laughs> no ever and yeah. i i found out after the fact because i read the book i found out that that was the original fruity rudy it was the real guy from the story because it's based on a true story oh shit i didn't know know that yeah Yeah. and that it was the same fruity rudy that actually had been in uh iraq as part of the recon mission and oh shit yeah because the whole thing is based on a a rolling stone article from a rolling stone guy that accompanied the first recon guys into iraq okay so when i found out like that was the actual fruity rudy i was like fuck that's cool you know like that that's the kind of same sort of like yeah Yeah. that's legit Yeah. yeah you can't fake that kind of realism yeah. yeah, you know the yeah. show like could not have been done if the guy couldn't have like bullshitted anything really because there's like one of the guys that was actually there at that f- you know and he's not you, you're not gonna be like can we just glaze over this part he's like no one of my fucking friends died you're not glazing over this part yeah I so think, I think they do a good job of bringing in the right consultants in order to make it like legit HBO too. is elite yeah. yeah elite like Showtime AMC all these guys now are bringing it because they they've learned the lesson but HBO paved the way like oz oz was amazing holy man. shit oz. jesus yeah. speaking oz of prisons was amazing and, yeah yeah you that was another that. i i initially like i initially wanted to work at prisons okay and when i first came to canada just as an international student i didn't have the clearance oh right, you don't, they so don't let you okay i can't get the security clearance yeah that makes sense oh really wow I can't get the security. I haven't been here long enough. That kind of makes sense, right? Security clearance. It uh, does kind of make sense. I wasn't like, yeah, I like, suppose, well, yeah. you know, whatever. I, I just never thought of it before. Yeah. Yeah, One could say sense. that there was no wire without Oz. Like that Oz oh, set, sure, set the tone. For sure. Oz set the tone for yeah. everything, man. Oz set the tone for the Sopranos. Oz set the tone. It the was one thing. of the first, like, not like the, the serial, like the serial format. I guess the Shield as well. You know what you I know, feel is like it, a direct descendant of Oz? Fucking Game of Thrones. It's exactly like maybe Oz I in, kind in of a, I, I fell out of way. favor with that. Show. I kind of stopped. I think after season three, yeah, I, right. I want to say season three. It just got kind of. But you know, down. back in Oz, how like if you, so, I always tell people when I discover the show, it was at the it the binge watching didn't exist yet. Yeah. There was no streaming shows, but DVD. I watched places. it later. I, I bought it on DVD and I just zipped through it. Did you, you know. did you notice that you, this was clearly not meant to be watched back to back? Um, yeah, sometimes because they not do a lot of flash. Yeah, they do. They do a lot of flashbacks as well. And there's a few, there's a few that are off. almost like, yeah, a little bit. But when you watch two, like I would watch like three or four in a row and I, f- I fucking, you know how like when you play Grand Theft Auto too much, and you go outside and it kind of overlaps with yeah. the cars and you're like yeah you just for a second there yeah uh, assassin's creed for me assassin's creed yeah yeah, yeah. Like, you kind of just like, like i'm pretty sure i could survive this jump off yeah. the rooftop could i like, climb wait that? what am i thinking yeah. yeah yeah so that same thing happens if you watch at least for me when i watch two or three episodes of oz in a row 
I feel like I was in there, man. Yeah. With, like watching this stuff. Like I was like some the, nameless the prisoner. Four, three, the four three format is is a lot more claustrophobic as Isn't well, it? right? Like it's it's a narrower yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. narrower focus. Your gaze is almost your your eyes. You know, your eyes aren't spread out wide. It's more of like a, a focus. It's more restrained. That's yeah. yeah and yeah. then the the that's like the wire was purposely shot in four three. Right, right. So like they like could have, yeah. So like not full screen, right? right. I think they remastered like it, or they, yeah, they remastered it, or redid whatever for the the tenth anniversary of, of something like last year, or a couple of years ago, or whatever it was. Where they and that's they almost weird, it. right? I it. haven't watched it in full it's screen. Very strange. Yeah, I don't know how they've done it. I don't know if it's if they actually have the footage or if it. it I like. I don't well, know if it, it the, stretched it was out a bit or if it three, was, but the yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I don't shot know. Shot in thirty five. That's so. exactly. So that that must have been the case for them to release it in that footage but i i would imagine that it would lend itself because like one expression that 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 david simon would always use that he said he got from like robert colesbury who um who executive produced like most of the 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 first season he's actually one of the officers and then i think in season two they have a wake for him but that's because he died in in actual in real life life. he died between i think season one or two if i'm not they put him on the table yeah something something like that yeah so um that that expression like showing the wide Right, like right. not not close up shots, but like just actually showing, like showing the stoop, showing McNulty with the dude, and then you actually see the stoop and the lights reflecting on, you know, on the wall and whatever. And so it it'd be interesting to see it in an even wider right, like what going else from showing the wide to the showing the wider, right? Because I would imagine that people the the actual characters would look even smaller compared to you know compared yeah. to the backdrop. So it's a, the four three was cruel to cinematographers, you know. Yeah, it looks format. weird. It looks weird on TV too. It still looks weird. But DS9 man, I mean, like I I remember defending. I remember defending my dissertation and then chilling, like being in my apartment with with like my parents that were they were they came in from Lebanon and then like you know some some friends and like people I was close to and whatever having having like some food and some drinks. What did your dad say to your PhD in the wire? I don't know. I don't think my dad totally gets it. I don't think my dad really ever knows what I'm what I'm doing, okay. like more or less. Like, like he just loves you, but he doesn't really get yeah, it. Yeah, I think at it, it, at one point, like I started off on the right path, man. Like I had, I got like I I was doing well at school. I was scoring, you know, whatever. Like I was getting the highest scores. I was like in the top percentiles. Um, I I went into college like straight into into my sophomore year as an economics major, so everything was great. I interned at a bank in the summer. Oh, he thought and he had yeah, like, and then I dropped and then I dropped out. <laughs> Yeah, and then I was like, I don't know if this college thing is for me, you know. And then I'm like, I don't know. I mean, part of that came with with maybe starting to smoke some weed, you know. Yeah, like, and Damn like, it. yeah, and so and then there. and then I went into psychology, you know. Uh-huh. And he was like, What the hell, you know? And that then I went into so yeah, so um, and then the education. So he never really. It's almost kind of like you know, he he had a certain. He had almost like the something that was like way more in line with his vision of of what he would have expected or hoped for us and and you know and got something else but he's yeah. supportive man he's he's you know he's he's as I, supportive as he can be given that I know that he struggles with understanding exactly what I do and why he's a traditional I do it. guy right oh yeah for sure yeah the, like uh, sure. when uh, my dad's old school man that's the thing you know when uh, again I come back to Burr like when he does that brilliant bit about Donald Sterling and, and uh, the whole yeah. fiasco yeah like how he else totally turns expect? it on his head right doesn't yeah. make it about whether he should have been censored or not but he yeah. brings up the fact that 
this guy is fucking 80 years old. Yeah. He would have been a kid a, a full 16 years before Jackie Robinson played baseball. Yeah. And so that we should actually be amazed at how clean his bigotry is. Like yeah. that he's not dropping N-words. And yeah. The, right? So I just have a tremendous admiration for people like parents, like your dad, oh, for instance. 100%. Who have no reason to be understanding or accepting of what yeah. you're doing because they were regimented and set into such a strict way of thinking that this is what is the good yeah. and the right and this is what is the failure and the wrong, yeah. right? And for him to still love you, you know, and like maybe even doesn't fucking get it. Yeah. To me, that's such an effort that we don't Oh, for applaud. sure. It depre- it's not just that he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it and he doesn't accept it. Right, like it depresses him. Oh, really? And that's hard for me to like deal with the yeah, fact of course that it is. the fact that what I'm actually doing now that finally makes me happy causes like this much pain to somebody that's like actually given me, you know, like so much and, right. and sacrificed so much. Although but you know what's really going on is he thinks that he failed you, and that's what maybe he's angry. I don't know what it is, man. That's what like at the at dads. the end of the day, like that's that's got to be on him. That's yeah. that. I mean, I don't know, man. Who am I I'm to say? You know, who am I? Who am I to say? You know, who am I to say? But at the at the end of the day, like, um, they're yeah, they just don't. They just but don't I'm totally. talking as a dad. Like I've started to experience this. Like when my son says something stupid at school or acts like the fool, yeah. and he'll go into a, a style that I know he's aping someone. Yeah. Uh, I get really mad at him and sometimes I explore that anger and I realize I'm actually mad at myself yeah because I feel like I could have done something different right to to make him behave differently so it's a bit of a weird kind of uh, ego thing yeah and it has it's shamefully and honestly has less to do with the kid than than a parent realizes yeah. sometimes and I'm not ma- saying that's the yeah case I don't know I mean the, the the crazy thing is I can I can only like I can only operate with my own understanding of the situation of like course. his perception is pr- is not probably is definitely like entirely different yeah. right. like I have no I have no idea fire in the hole Good man. Sorry. I have no idea what it is to be a parent man I have no idea to to have Me something neither. outside of you be like the priority like i'm still used to like me being number one man i'm the star of my own movie i wake up every day you know whatever it's i think just, that's related to the whole like uh careerist automatic leading to no children because uh, if you're gonna follow a career especially in show business or whatever yeah. a business career you kind of have to be about yourself and your success of course right of course and once you have a child, uh, if you're human in any way, if you have any, that core in you, then yes, you automatically switch modes. Yeah. There the game becomes making sure not to switch modes too much because if you forget yourself while you're raising your kid, you're actually hurting this kid. You just don't know it. Yeah. Because you're, you're going to package him whichever way you think is best. And he, grow, he or she grows up, turns around and is like, but... They they are keenly aware uh, if you do not love yourself. Yeah, and there is no sadder thing that I've seen in my life than a, a person who felt sorry for their parents. Yeah, that is a that is a fucking disheartening yeah. thing to see. You know. Yeah, you want to know that your parents like kicked ass and did everything to take care of you, but that they loved themselves and there was joy in their lives yeah. that, in, even independently of you, a little bit. Yeah, like they were able to be happy yeah. on their own. You know, at least that's my perception. Yeah.
No, but so I, I understand why. Why it's not. I don't feel like you, that's a bad thing necessarily. No, not necessarily. I also understand, man. Like my dad got dealt a very different hand than I did, right? Like my dad grew up in very different circumstances, and a lot of them like very harsh circumstances. So, I would I would only expect that we would have like slightly different, you know, opinions on on certain things. It's um, we're a product of our environment. Say again. We're a product of our yeah, of course, of course. The irony is that they worked hard to uh, to to like give us these opportunities, and and on some level, I almost feel like you know there's uh, like there's a weird like oh my god, this is not what we expected, you know, right. out of out of this. But but it's cool, man. It's it's uh, we're we're a tight knit family, man. Like my family's everything to me. Cause you have siblings. We, uh, yeah, I have two. I have two younger sisters. So I'm the oldest of of the bunch. Um, have they seen you uh, perform? Are they into your comedy? The uh, the younger the uh, so the the like the middle one has. Uh, the youngest one hasn't. Um, I think it's a little hard on on my sister to watch me on stage, right? Like she knows she knows me, like right, and it's just, just kind of hard to see like that. They didn't see it coming, or. I don't think anyone saw it coming, really. Okay, they're not like, ah, oh, no. it was always funny. Like, no, no, not really. You okay. know, not, not, not at all. I don't think. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd always wondered, but I, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that anyone ever really expected it or saw it coming. It's not. It did feel natural when I did it, but um. So yeah, my uh, my sisters also heard all of these stories man like i'm not creative enough to make anything up on stage so a lot of a lot of like my stage material is is just like lived experience you work mostly clean right you you work clean uh no i curse i curse a little bit more than i'd like to man i'd actually at one point it's clean that for me unless you're talking about like someone's oh the the material the material it's it's clean now yeah (laughs) the material itself like the subject matter um is yeah there's nothing there's nothing in there that's like overtly sexual or there's nothing in there that's it's like dirty but i do curse a lot man right so i did at one point when i first started are we Fire in the hole. Um, when I first started, I was trying not to curse. Like I was conscious of not cursing my first six months in a comedy because I thought that verbally it's a little bit of a crutch. Right. Right. Like you certainly just, hate it when you see someone kind of leaning on it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. It it's kind of almost like filler. Um, it's it's just it's weird. It's also Cat Williams. It's also like a lot of you're almost forced to use more descriptive words, right? Because fuck is almost like interchangeable for almost every word, Everything. right? It's so a grammatical can, miracle. Really. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so it almost uses it almost like kind of forces you to to kind of expand that that vocabulary or that catalog yeah. of of words, which makes everything a little bit more vivid. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I send my sister sets sometimes. She's like, I can't listen to this shit, man. She like, says. Say again, or you can't. No, no, I she can't. Sense, okay, I, I okay. send her. Say, I'll be like, yo, listen to this. Like, this is like. And she says like, she's more traditional. She's more closer to your dad's kind of. Vision, no, no, she doesn't give a fuck. She just can't. Line. Yeah, she can't. It's, and what it's weird do? for her to translate. To she's a teacher too. She's ironically, teacher too? Okay. yeah. Bye. She's like, I don't know what this is, but I love you, kind of thing. It's just hard for her to kind of just it's just hard for her to see like the same person just be performative i guess in a way that's not like overtly performative because i'm almost the same like on stage as off i think stage. that's strength there's a bit of the same thing as in movies like you need to kind of surrender your, yourself like yeah like the suspension of disbelief yeah in terms of the 
I wouldn't to me to me I wouldn't really struggle with it, but I can kind of see why right. she does. You know, I kind of see what she does. So. Yeah, we talked a little bit with uh, with John about how it's it's a bit of like a hypnosis on on the room, like uh, as as an audience member, right? You know, like they kind of come into this trance. So if you yeah. can't get into that trance yeah. because she knows you as a person, yeah. then it's almost like a, you know. It yeah so i have friends that obviously don't have that issue but as a sibling that's grown up with you i can kind yeah. of i can kind of see that yeah you know yeah, i can see that and she's like yeah i heard this in the living room dude like <laughs> you know <laughs> so tell so. us a bit about your your show you're you're hosting right yeah, oh yeah yeah, tell us about your stuff, yeah. so i don't know man I've, I've been doing like i've been doing comedy like just over a year and a half and um I'd kind of always felt like I was like, yo, can I can I get on your show? Like, what can I get? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and it, it kind of just I, I wanted to get into into like a producing, you know, a little bit of production experience under my belt. And uh, and it's also an opportunity to like, you know, work with work with people and offer stage time to people that um, that have been very generous to me and that have been very supportive. So. I didn't want to do like a, a long, I'd, I'd have like, I think, I don't know what it is with me and commitment, man, but like just something finite, you know, like a small series of shows felt like, you know, um, a little bit of a more manageable approach. So uh, we're doing three shows or we ended up doing three shows in July um, and we got three more coming up in August and it's at, uh, it's at Marché des Éclusiers which is in in the old port i used to live in the old port man my first like few years in montreal like my first five six years in montreal and which is a nice place to start out it's it's a really nice place to start out man but the the crazy thing was like after rent i really couldn't afford to do anything else right like i had affordable rent but everything in in the area was was like this just was they say if you want to experience toronto you could just move to the old port for a little while sure (laughs) Sure. I've never heard, that, know, never heard right. that before. Um, yeah, if you want to experience the Toronto rent uh, housing situation, just, just yeah. move to the old port for a couple yeah. of months. So this was a dope way to kind of get back to you know get back a little bit into the into the neighborhood, you know, yeah. and kind of try to create. I was very happy, man. Like the third show, somebody like showed up, and I was like, "Yo, how do you hear about the show?" And he was like, "Yeah, I live across the street." You know, I saw the I saw the poster. I figured I'd come check it out, and he was like. There's nothing really neighborhoody like that goes on in old Montreal, you know. That's true. Yeah, yeah. and I was very like, thank you. I was like, thank you for saying that, man. Like it was, it was very gratifying, you know, because that's to some extent that's what I was kind of hoping to create. Like a, a lot of, a lot of the idea going in was like, oh, maybe tourists, maybe tourists, and I was like, no, nah, I kind of want to target like the you residents. You to reveal that there was an actual neighborhood. There. Yeah, I want to. I wanted to people, target the residents of the neighborhood. Man, you know, it's funny than, now that you say it. It's the first time I've ever actually thought about the fact that there must be a community. there. Yeah, I mean, the the really the divide. The divide is almost like the the Saint Sulpice, like the Saint Urbain, Saint Sulpice. Everything like west of the cathedral becomes a lot more neighborhoody than everything east right, of it to like Jacques Cartier well, I mean, it's you a know. touristic it's a touristic yeah. hot, hot point right yeah. but it's the same way that you uh, when when you realize wait like wait there are people that are from Las Vegas like born and raised it's kind of the same feel you know you're like right. you never really think about it cuz it's it's branded as a town that people visit rather than right. anyone might be born there right 
um, and you were like, oh, what are Vegas sites like? Or are they Vegas sites? Are they yeah. Vegonians or whatever? Vegans? Yes. Vegonians. Vegons? Yeah. Vegons. Vegonians. Okay. So uh, you start. Okay. Wait, so so you, your next show is coming up. Next on show is coming up on uh, August 3rd. August so 3rd. Would be, so they're Wednesdays. Essentially, it's every Wednesday. Every it's Wednesday. the 3rd, the 10th, and the 17th. Okay. So, so this episode is going to drop shows. on the 1st. So if you're okay. listening to this episode right now, right, there's It'd be a there's, Monday. There's, you got 48 hours to get your shit together to cancel whatever plans you're making on Wednesday to rearrange that shit to like whatever. I can and if you miss it, then you got the next Wednesday. You got the 10th and, the next and then Wednesday the 17th, and then that's a wrap. It's um, called LockDoc, right? Yeah, the LockDoc comedy that mean? show. What does that I mean? have absolutely no idea what that means, okay. man. I honestly, I, I was whatever i almost at one point it's it's like right by the river right and there there are like there's like there's a fucking boat there's a dock like the locks you know and then i thought of um i thought of lock stock and two smoking barrels and my brain just went to like lock dock and two smoking barrels yeah i was gonna say yeah that was kind of too long so i just went with lock dock you're also kind of like you're locking down the law the docks right i don't know what i'm doing man i really don't know i'm just trying to do i i kind of it's it's funny man because i it's six shows and i really i went in like expecting i went in fully expecting like for two of them to be canceled two of them to be mediocre and two of them to be like average to good right and so far it's been a blessing man it's it's been growth every week you know every single week the shows have gotten progressively better both in attendance um the first the first show was just like a whole bunch of friends you know and that was a little discouraging because i mean i was it was actually very encouraging like thank you for the support i didn't mean to like shit on everybody <laughs> i was like yo all my friends showed up that was kind of whack you know what i'm saying like <laughs> fuck you all my supporters <laughs> no nah, i really do appreciate that but it was like i tried this is all new to me right so like from the promotional aspect i totally didn't know like what the approach was it kind of my friend helped me out making like a, a poster we know we did like a little bit of digital stuff social media a few friends with like a fair amount of followers help retweet you know post it on instagram um i tried to get on the radio well i did i did get on the radio i um i flyered out like i went to because it's old montreal right i went to like 12 12 13 hotels in the area i talked to all the concierges and i was like yeah if you want to send like blah 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 this is what we have like that's the posters you know like and my goal really going in for the first show i was like i want five outsiders you know that's my entire goal was like i want five people that i don't know like who the fuck are you thank you for coming to the show and i had zero i knew everybody in the room you know which was it was cool that everybody came out and supported but it reduces the danger like i richard asked me about this when when i started talking about we started talking about uh, for me going up and doing this and he asked me, like, he's like, would you rather it be friends there? No, or like, for me, it's awkward. because I, like, I, I want strangers. Yeah, there. strangers, strangers. Although friends are generally more supportive, it's it's of course. it's easier to do well in a room full of friends. But I want to know friends. if the material's worth Of anything. course, that's that's a thing. It's also a room where the lighting, like, it's, it's a really different, like, what I was trying to do with the space, man, like, a lot of... Um, a lot of comedy shows like are in, in spaces with no windows, right? Like for me, it gets stuffy a little bit. I get to walk out a lot. Um, I don't know how that is from like an audience perspective where you're there for like a full hour and a half for the most part. But 
this is uh, this is a space where you know you have windows on all sides. It's the top floor. You have a view. You have a view on the river, right? Um, fireworks like at ten, right as the show ends. That's, that's, and, that's, did and, you plan that? Uh, no, I totally didn't know about that's the fireworks. To be perfectly honest, that's man, amazing. that was like actually the first show. Somebody was like, "Yo, you got to hustle," because we started a tiny bit late. Somebody's like, "Yeah, Yo, you got to hustle, man." Those fireworks at ten. I was like, "Oh fuck, those fireworks at 10. Is there any way to position yourself so that? Just as you drop your last bit, like the fireworks just that go happened off. on the first show. As soon as Get I wrapped up, like the you know, I didn't time it as well <laughs> on the, the second or third here. show. That's amazing. Um, but it wasn't. It was like you know, a thank you for coming out, blah 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 blah. You know, finished all of that, and then like the fireworks went off. But like yo, know, the 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 third show, <laughs> you can't buy that shit. No, uh, no, that was like killer. completely. That was completely random, but. So the second show, like I just, I ended up starting a flyer, right? I was working with posters first. I started flyering, um, you know, and then so we talked about like we, I don't think we were recording at the time, but the Ubisoft Mafia, yeah, you know, up. like, yeah, they showed up from seeing a flyer at, you know, at a restaurant. I was handing out flyers like hand to hand and a couple of people I handed out flyers to, you know, came to the show. So that kind of grew. And then really, I figured this, man, at, at one point I was like, I, I had a little bit of, I was like a little nervous because I had like financial investment in, in in the equipment like and and i wanted to at least recoup some of it i knew i was gaining a lot in experience and that's worth a lot but financially i need to get some of my money back and i had no clue how the shows were going to go so once i recouped like a small portion of that i was like you know what just get bodies in the seats absolutely right like that's what's more important than the actual like you know the financial like monetary the the numbers the whatever the so people there. i just started comping people man like the my friend so we left flyers at at uh faberge you know um and i just i comp the entire staff you know i was like yeah Yo, you does you just come through you know anybody anybody that actually paid for a ticket came up to me and is like yo we had a good time or you know like what would are is it the same comics on on the next show i was like yo you guys come back for free like just Wicked. message you do me. comedy in french as well no i'd, I'd love to i'd love to start you still you know. speak french yeah me? i yeah. do i do it's um i'm a lot more comfortable in english out of the three languages that i'm I speak, the same way but I yeah also speak what's so you speak arabic french Arab, english. yeah all fluently you know read read and write all three although like arabic would probably be the weakest in in those departments right. like my know. hungarian yeah <laughs> but um so i don't know man it's it's been great like being able to essentially so the, the my expectations going in two canceled shows two mediocre ones two average at best you know and so far like the third show has built up to like beyond what my expectations were okay. well i'm making a commitment you to know, be there so i, I yeah. appreciate that man i mean i appreciate we're there that, we're man. there and we're gonna we're gonna wrestle up some we're gonna wrestle yeah. up some fucking homies to it, uh, get their asses <laughs> it'll be fun <laughs> man they've out. all they've all been good everybody everybody's more or less you know we've had return customers which is awesome you know and they've brought friends which to me is like all right dope like you guys are telling people you guys are having fun you know so Sweet. That's, that's 400 Rue de la Commune yeah, West. Yeah, so it's the you intersection of uh, Rue de la Commune and McGill Street and the closest metro is Square Victoria. Some of this info is online as well, right? Yeah, all this and info on Facebook. that's kind of what Facebook. I wanted to uh, ask you. Is if you uh, just Facebook uh, Lock Doc Comedy Show, even if you just Google it, like the, the Facebook uh, events are public, so if you don't have Facebook, you just Google that um, Lock Doc Comedy Show, you get all the info. Um, trying mean, to film it, trying to crank out some content. That's been a bit challenging. I didn't, I didn't realize how hard it was to like produce and host. 
Mm. Yeah, that's you know, and like hosting is hard enough on its own. So to like actual produce a show and like book people and you know be there and set up, you know, it's not a space that's set up for comedy. So uh, it's not like showing up as at a room that already has a stage or already has like an audio set up. Like I have to set everything up from scratch. A lot of the comics and most of the comics, I really should say, have been like super like supportive. You know, there's uh, you know people have helped move chairs, move tables, and and you know on the setup and on the takedown as well. And that uh, like that's that's some forever shit in my book. You know, yeah, like that's, I appreciate that's that kind of support comics that weren't on the show or weren't booked on any of the shows showing up at multiple shows you know just to, just to be you know just to Brilliant. be there and hang out so can we see any of your stuff online anywhere? uh not yet man not yet because i'm honestly i'm just really in no rush dude i'm like 19 like 19 months in maybe if that like 20 whatever um and i've 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 seen like i've been fortunate enough to to see like improvements month to month and I don't want to put up a video that I like look back at in three months and be like, oh, this is kind of garbage. You know, I'm kind of I've been waiting for it to, to kind of peter off like that, that kind of that curve to kind of level off a little bit. And I mean, knock on wood, it's right. It's still going. You know, well, I mean, I hear you. In, so. no, sorry, good. I was just saying that we, we both watch a lot of comedy and we both came out of that show saying like. Holy oh, shit, I, that guy's awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. Man. No, you're I, very talented. And we're not fanboys. We never yeah. we're not yeah, yeah, the type. We, yeah. we look at the work uh, to some extent, the person as well, but we really look at the work. And so it wasn't, I mean, yeah, you were a likable dude, but it wasn't just like, oh, he's, he's so funny, haha, because yeah. he's like, no. We're like, listen to what you said. And I appreciate we're like, that. this is legit. Yeah. I, I feel that from audiences. Like, I feel the attention. Sometimes I don't get the laughs. I mean, that you're, as a comic, you always want more laughs or bigger laughs. And, but I, I generally feel the attention. Like, people pay attention, whether they agree or care for it or don't, you know, whether That's, it's their cup you of tea. You don't even want to control You can't it. ask. You can, I, can't, I can't personally ask for more than that. Like, that alone is, is, is fairly, you know. Well, I think it has a, some, something to do with also the cadence, right? As a, Maybe. As a fellow low-talking, yeah. low-energy, slow-talking yeah. guy, you very rarely, you know, people tend to, uh, I guess, measure their response with yours as kind of like a human yeah it's thing. it's weird man i mean we're going back to like public speaking at one point i think the last year of my phd was like really influential on like just you know my attention to detail as far as public speaking and trying to actively work on certain like habits or verbal crutches or trying not to say um you know uh, i still yeah. say it but, but trying the podcast, to the same yeah, thing, just know? try to do the pregnant pause, you know, listen to a lot yeah. of people on the radio and hear how people speak, record yourself and listen to, I also started working with, you know, a couple of organizations. I had to give like speeches where I had finite time. Hmm. So whereas I was used to working with a three hour lecture where I can ramble on for a little bit before I get to the meat of it. Now I have 10 minutes. Um, my, my, uh, there you go with the, um, because <laughs> we talked about yeah, it. Yeah. my phd dissertation was 20 minutes like the the presentation portion of it is 20 minutes and they cut you off right they might not cut you off at exactly like 21 but by 22 you're done and you should plan yeah. 18 minutes. exactly and the first time i did it i clocked in at 37 Wow. I did it in a class. My supervisor gave me the opportunity, and she just—I could see her shaking her head from the corner of my eye, like five minutes in. And I'm like, but that let me know. I'm like, all right, I gotta nail, 
I got to nail like my first five minutes because you can't fall behind that early on. Yeah. I took a presentation class recently. It yeah. Was, it was like that. And I gave like a high stakes presentation. Okay. And it was oh, like. that's a story. Yeah, it's a lot uh, of pressure. It's it was a like lot of pressure. we had like one hour to do it. And yeah. in one hour and one minute, the, everybody gets up and walks yeah. out even if you're mid-sentence. Yeah, that's it's that's like, a thing. Oh. So, so that forced me to, that was the first time when I was working towards my PhD dissertation. It's the first time that I took this approach, which was write everything out. Mm-hmm. Write it all out. Script it out, but write it out the way you would say it. Right. Down to the pauses. Figure out how you would say it in real life and then try to translate that. Like that kind of writing. Oh, thank God. That's which, how I'm trying to write my notes. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. what I did in comedy. Like for the first like six, six months, six to nine months, I would have to write my entire set out. Mm. Even if I had the joke written out exactly the same somewhere else. I would just have to write from minute one to minute six or seven or eight or however long I was doing. I had to write it all out by hand. But like and stream like of stare- consciousness style. No, no, no. Like if I knew the jokes I was doing, yeah. right, and I had them written elsewhere, I would still have to write them all out. But you'd write them the way that you would be Say speaking. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. With all yeah. the so, But then I, I just started taking a slightly different approach where if I'm trying to work on a joke or if I have like a vague outline kind of where I have specific things I want to say, I don't know exactly how to get there. And then I'll try to work it out on stage a couple of times. Mm. But I will inevitably always go back to like a written form so that I can visualize like where the holes are. Right. Um, I'm a very visual person, so like recording or audio recording my stuff is great because when I dump the audio, you can see on the waves where the peaks are and where the dead spots are. Right. Right. So you can go directly to that. Yeah, right now. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and <laughs> that was that was a crazy thing too. Like with the with the PhD that that um, that need to be concise. Right, my my dissertation clocked in at like 180 pages because I wanted everything to just be like just short. I was like, there's nothing a student can say that he or she can't say in 180 pages, mm. um, and that translated a little bit into into like joke writing as well. Just cut straight into the. Fa- there's a lot of preamble that we don't need for jokes. Like, right. I, I was watching a documentary. I can't remember which one it was, but Steve Harvey was on there. And he was like, uh, so my goal is to be out there for like 45 to 55 minutes and to get a house laugh every like seven to nine seconds. And he's like, a house laugh is like when 80% of the audience laughs. laughs. And I'm listening to this. I'm like, you're out of your goddamn mind. Like, the room like seven to nine seconds? Are yeah. you fucking How kidding me? How can you be me? clocked like that? Yeah, you know. But then I, then I, like my first year in comedy, I'd kind of, I'd always cycle through material. I never really did the same set twice, different order, different jokes, like two, three months, new jokes. Um, some of them worked, some of them didn't. And then I finally got to like, I was like, fuck it. I need to figure out like what my seven standard seven minute set is for like clubs or for, uh, you know, uh, auditions or showcases or whatever. And, um, and I tried to pin it down and I was listening to it one day and I'm like, this, this dead spots this set this this 15 seconds really doesn't need to be there you know this this 30 seconds can be 10 seconds and the next thing you know you have a whole minute cleared up like you've Mm. taken that seven minute set and you've kind of accordioned it down to like 
545 that's definitely and you can my challenge fit, in, in you life fit a whole new joke editing in. everything right. You're <laughs> and then you the start to notice jokes. that hey you know they're coming every 12 seconds you yeah know? joke per like, second hey, targets yeah like, they're coming your... every 10 you know <laughs> or i'm taking so i don't i don't let it dictate because a lot of a lot of my style is conversational so sometimes it takes me like 30 seconds to get to the point but then it's it's like almost like two or three or four like whatever mm-hmm. tags or um but no effect yeah as long as honestly man like the best gauge like i i try not to be obsessed with laughter as much as i am just trying to gauge energy in the room man right. i want people to be upbeat sometimes people don't feel like laughing you know right. as long as people sometimes you look at people eyes and, and be like yeah they're they're having a good time they're just not fully you know people right. have a lot of things on their mind like it's selfish to be like laugh for me this is funny you right. know, as a comic, it's very selfish. I mean, we are selfish people. We're up there with a microphone and a spotlight, you know, <laughs> like me, <laughs> me, me, God damn it. You know, me, there's nothing up there with you. There's, there's a title of the show, by the way. You know, yeah. <laughs> me, God, madam. So <laughs> there's absolutely nothing to take away attention from you. There's no right. band. There's no backup singers. There's no nothing. It's just you and it's the microphone. You. And it's, it's inherently the most narcissistic, I think, art form there is. But there's an interesting optimization quality to it like you're like you're saying trying to condense things down and jason and i have been spending a, a little bit of time in our own amateurish way trying to you know write some jokes and yeah. i realized very quickly that it was a question of really it's, optimizing yeah. it and distilling it down to it's yeah. like people's attention spans are really it's, short it's also know? basic like, like i learned that through writing and then like the like I, I, I read a lot of student papers and and students will be like oh in my opinion i believe that you know this wall is white hmm. and really all you're saying that this wall is white right you know, right because i know the, i know that it's in your that that's i know that it's in you your just, opinion you believe that because you're writing this shit like you just I don't need to, need to hear that amount of words right it has to be yeah. a thousand words yeah. so academia so does that but that if you apply that to jokes like whatever i i had a i had a bit that that i'm trying to move away from because i got into comedy off a breakup so a lot of my a lot of my material early on was like breakup base and then i tried to get back into like some of the dating say so, you know whatever it was like a bit of an outlet for for like going through the different the different stages of of that process and um so i had a bit where i don't know whatever like just as an example you know i'd be like you know i went through a rough breakup and all of my friends would give me this stupid like relationship advice and like you know the other day i was chilling with my friend and then you know she said this and then like two months later that joke was like yeah i went through a rough breakup the other day my friend said this <laughs> you know because all that shit in the middle has really no, no purpose. it's just yeah it's no purpose and that's how you just start shaving off it's not like i magically got funnier mm. and was able to like just write shit that made people yeah it's fat. just trim the fat it's an efficiency of communication yeah and that's i notice like when i speak with with people who are either very effective public speakers yeah. comedians there's a few different yeah. you know, types of professions that are like that they're just very good with the language they're very efficient there's no ums there's no fillers yeah. they're very they, it's hard work flowing. though man like somebody at one point i at the end of like a talk that i gave somebody walked up to me and she was like oh, i really enjoyed that you're a natural and i and i really appreciated the comment but some part of me 
like and I, and I think I might have said like I might have said like yeah I work hard at this like part of me like got taken you know I'm, I'm learning to take compliments a little better that's always been that's like, a sign a of mastery of, actually when you make something look very easy and maybe, I remember I, I appreciate remember having, that, that I don't that's know if you maybe had the same overshooting impression. overshooting what what where I'm at okay perhaps <laughs> but yeah. you know from my that's perspective that's what I strive for at least like ideally that ideally that would be it but like a master carpenter or sculptor or whatever yeah. like they convince other people that they're able to do it because they make it look so easy yeah. and then they go and they try and like oh it's the reason where like some people hit the stage and they'll try to do like a, a casual laid back thing like the louis does or whatever and and like hit a wall and not realize that that simple act actually had like massive right. mechanics behind right. it. Right. Or designers, like uh, yeah. graphic designers yeah. who work in Photoshop and stuff. Yeah. And, they we, and they take on clients. What were you going to say just before? I don't, I don't remember. You said like something about us, like you were saying about uh, like uh, communication, editing, and the ability to like, that you notice that some people are very succinct and they're able to get to the point. I, I just think that the whole writing process uh, for a comedian, uh, if, if you're doing any kind of comedy bit or even a lot of other types of performance art, it ends up being uh, anything, just man, trying to no, consolidate, even like, uh, like distill it into its purest form without all the connective stuff yeah. that he was talking about. A- anything, I think anything you do, like the shorter it is, just the better. Well, in, in teaching general. that comes up, right? Yeah, that does too, but... There's a there's a French philosopher called Pascal, and there's like a series of letters. He was going back and forth with a dude, and at the end of the, like at the end of one of those letters, he was like, you know, I apologize for the length of this letter. I didn't have time to write you a short one. <laughs> oh, nice. You know, and that's yeah. kind of what it is. It's why like people like email, long, and then you just just you have to work at making it short. It's it's hard work, but it's it's better at the end of the day for everybody involved. Like the less the this less filler email. that they process, yeah. That's right? I've had plenty of students tell me, uh, like, uh, you know, that they prefer email just because they can think it through and then just yeah. send this, like, they know the attention span will not allow right. more than two paragraphs. Yeah. So they need to distill the importance of that down. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, oftentimes people who are very good at something end up making something look very easy. I know people who are graphic designers, as I was saying before, um, they'll take on clients and the clients will just be, like, over their shoulder trying to make it bigger, make it smaller, make it red, make it green, like all that kind of stuff. And then at a certain point, if that person's really good at what they're doing, then the customer will end up believing that they can just do it themselves right. because it's so easy. And then they spend two seconds trying it and realize like, oh, I can't do oh, this. Oh, this is a whole yeah. thing that it's I so much fun to let set. them do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because it's in- instantaneous mm-hmm. in terms of like, there's no way that I could do this. Yeah, Sonia, who was a guest on the show, uh, Sonia from NML, told me like a story just like that. How? Oh yeah, I think she talked about it on the show. Yeah. She periodically has customers who who sometimes are like, oh well, you know, I'm a designer too, and then she's like, oh, okay. And one time she literally just pulled back, gave the yeah. person the fabric, and be like, yeah. here's a mannequin, you cut, go. You cut this. You and sew like, this. Like, oh, yeah. Something like, what did she say, like two minutes in? She's like, oh, maybe my idea is too elaborate, and poof, the person <laughs> <Yeah>. just booked. <laughs> yeah. Just runs away. Just uh-huh. booked. Okay, so before we wrap this up, Give us a give us a, a comedy story. Give us an anecdote. Something that's happened to you. An anecdote. Yeah. Winning, like road stories. Not necessarily, but like some an interaction with a with a with an audience member or some 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 kind of weird shit. Heckler? Do you have any hecklers? Uh, I have had hecklers, man. Hecklers. I've had a couple of hecklers. I've I've been fortunate to not have too many hecklers. Mm-hmm. You know, so far. Um, Is there a pattern? I, I did have. 
No, I wouldn't say. I think it's just completely random. But I think if you, the one thing I learned, like the, I had a heckler once that it was weird because she wasn't heckling me directly. She was just like speaking out loud. She was just really drunk. A lady from Texas. Shout out to Delaney. Wow, that's such uh, a stereotype. Yeah, you loud, know, boisterous yeah, Texan basically drunk lady. Her and her and her man's. Um, blue eyeshadow, no blue eyeshadow. I, fucking, I don't know, <laughs> man. But. Um, yeah, she heckled throughout a 10-minute set, like, and it became about her, you know? And there's always that. There's a weird... I don't know. That was a very that was a very interesting comedy moment because to one extent, like, I, I thought I handled it okay. Like, everybody had a good time. There were funny moments. So even though it detracted from the show... Um, what, was she, what was she saying? Ah, dude, like, silly things like, oh, my God, like, why is the ceiling fan wobbly? You know, and she oh, just, she'd okay. been drinking since, like, 2 in the afternoon. I so think, she wasn't, like, taking issue with your material. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, so it wasn't, like, it was more of an interruptive thing. And then when that happens, you just figure, why not engage, you know, at that point? But I think engaging is empowering, you know, and so then just it just, it, it opens, it it's almost minimum, opens some materials. And everybody in the room is like immediately I guess, on their side because it, yeah, but it, it does get annoying after a while. Like I I'm kept, sure. I ended up just engaging her for ten minutes, and then her her you know her boyfriend or her whatever the the dude that she was her with, man. yeah, basically. I also ended up saying some really mean shit that <laughs> I don't entirely regret because they kind of deserve it, and I said it in jest, and they took it okay. But I literally wished death upon these people, <laughs> okay. you know, and that like brought out comedies taught me a lot about myself. Comedies like almost kind of showed me like whether it was like experiencing jealousy in moments where i'm like why am i feeling this way you know you feel actual scorn to anyone that that uh, takes it upon themselves to to like uh take a shit on the on the proceedings i mean i don't know yeah it is it is kind of rude at some point when you tell somebody to please stop interrupting like repeatedly and they don't it it does get annoying Right, because it it does interfere with it for everyone. Like it makes the show about you, and nobody's there to see you. Like at the end of the day, um, okay. not there that like they're not that they're there to see me, but they're there they're there to laugh. And as as comics, like there's always that. Do I want to work on material? Like this is valuable time. Like you spend time writing. You wait till you get an audience. You want to check people out. When somebody's constantly interrupting that, it's like trying to go to the gym, and you know every time you're trying to get on like the treadmill, somebody's like unplugging it. And you're like, or you're Jesus. doing some sweet like guitar solo on stage, yeah. and someone's playing the bagpipes. In the yeah, of the you audience, know, at the, like, at the same time, up you're your like, exactly. And he could have exactly. gone anywhere, but he's standing next to you with his That's fucking it. backpack. Yes. <laughs> I worked so. hard on this. <laughs> um, but no, man. <laughs> I, I had a bit of a, I had a bit of a, I had a bit of, I think like the worst time I bombed was when, when I had, I was like early on into comedy and I was just going through a really rough time and I don't know why I just, I, I mean, I do know why, but I just decided to take it all out on stage, man. I decided to vomit it all out on oh, stage no. in a way that I was trying to make funny. But also in a way that I knew was not going to be funny. Like, deep down, I kind of knew that, yeah, I can try these jokes out. But, like, who am I kidding, man? This shit is not just funny. (laughs) Like, I'm just just out here venting into a microphone. But it was was a very rough personal time on on a lot of fronts, not just, like, one one issue. And I kind of just, that was the only time I bailed on a set. That was the only time, like, I've, I'm up to, like, 350, 360, like, sets, and I've, 
that's the only time where I'm like, this is not working out for anybody involved. I apologize to the hosts. I'm like, yo, I think Jacob Greco was hosting that night. I was like, yo, dude, I'm sorry for digging this hole. Like, have fun, you know, have Exit fun. Stage right. Yeah, basically, <laughs> you know, I'm out. And people didn't really give a fuck, man, which was good. Like, people, when I got off stage, some people were supportive. Most people weren't even listening. It wasn't that big of a deal. I kind of shrugged it off. Like, I don't really give a fuck. It's not like I didn't really hold it in like that long, but it was something I needed to do, I think, to know what not to do, you know, in terms of kind of that. Yeah. In terms of that, like towing that line between stages therapy and stages entertainment and it's it's not fair to impose that onto the audience you know and and i know that up until then i'd like used it therapeutically but i needed to go deeper and and i was already like skating on thin ice with what i was doing um so i I just it was it was good it was a good experience it was it was extremely uncomfortable in the moment i don't think i've ever been as uncomfortable on stage as like those what ended up being like really like so you're th- holding th- the mic really high three minutes <laughs> i might have not even touched the mic <laughs> <laughs> well you have to push the limits though if you you're going to be good at yeah of course of course and, and i think that's you know that's one thing that I've, I've always tried to i've always tried to challenge myself to do new things i've i you know in in retrospect i always think like i have commitment issues but i think like when things get comfortable enough like i'm like all right i'm good let's go on to let's go on to the next you know let's move on to the next project or the next city you know maybe yeah part of it part of it is that like i've been in montreal longer than i've been in any city ever in my life in one stretch you know it's been seven years and i've never lived anywhere for more than four and a half maybe five um so yeah, it's it's interesting. So far, I think I've I've always had one foot out the door. Like when I started comedy, I was leaving Montreal. I had like I had signed over my lease. I was going through a really rough year, like post graduation, and I just figured let me go home to Lebanon and lick my wounds for a little bit. And um, I started doing comedy like a f- maybe the week after that I I signed my lease over. Like I had already built crates for all my sneakers. I was packing shit up. <laughs> I had. I had grabbed like uh, storage space and I started doing comedy and then I got offered like I started doing the like the sneaker podcast project and I was like those two things I was like okay for, for a year like I kind of know what I've been chasing I finally have these two things like both things that I've always wanted to do with a comedy or like like sneaker related you know sneaker related work and I'm like all right let me see where this goes and so for a full year, I was going like sublease to sublease, Airbnb to Airbnb, you know, spot to spot. Surfing. Yeah, it was okay for the first, I guess, eight months maybe. It got rough the last two months, man. Like it got, I, you know, I started striking out with apartments and then having to go like, instead of going like month to month or sometimes get lucky and grab a space for two months, it was literally like week to week, five days here, two days on a Jeez. friend's couch, like 10 days here um like a bohem very bohemian wave yeah i i whittled it down man like when i when i first put all my stuff in storage and i was staying in an apartment i had like a fair amount of stuff and then like with the next move i had to leave some at a friend's place and then move after that and then i whittled it down to like a suitcase and maybe two boxes and that was it right you know that's a you know there's there's a very like uh overarching theme of of nomadic life it's yeah, and everything that you've told us today. Yeah, so far, I guess. Like uh, everything from the diplomatic childhood bouncing between worlds. Literally, you're 
you were living on different planets, right? With the distances. Yeah. I mean, between, you know, between Montreal, Lebanon, D.C., all that. Like, you literally you might as well have been just visiting different planets at that point, right? In ret- in retrospect, yeah. Like, in, in the moment, it was just, like I said, really weird. But in, in retrospect, I definitely, I definitely kind of... I'm appreciative for, like, what it's offered me, though, in okay. terms of... In the moment, it's kind of rough, man, being uprooted. And, and it's just the little things, like, in... Um, I, I went from like a school of 260 people to like a school of 2,200 people like over over you know basically over the summer On you know jump. you're done yeah. with yeah you're done with this and then you move to a different country and you're like whoa what the yeah <laughs> so that's that's also like from the day to day but it, it's been awesome man I wouldn't you know I wouldn't take it back maybe in the moment it wasn't enjoyable but as, as I've grown older definitely become more and more appreciative of well man of those Habib, experiences. it just seems like like is that what your friends call you? Did they just call you Habib? Or how did, what, yeah, a little. Just, you yeah. don't have a nickname? No, I mean, some people have tried. I, th- I find them all corny, man. Okay, I like find what? Them, oh, let's, no, let's not. <laughs> that's not. <laughs> well, we're, yeah, we're not cool, opening that. Well, I saw I, the light go and maybe I started this on, sentence but, in friendship. And yeah. then what I wanted to say is that, like, I, uh, I, I think Rich and I both uh, are enjoying this tr- tremendously. We could we could just keep going nonstop for 24 hours very likely and not run out of things to say but, but it's late and i have to teach tomorrow <laughs> well, we don't, we'd also it really really like yeah. the door the like this podcast like consider it like y- you can surf our couch anytime man you oh, can, i appreciate that the man. door's open you you're welcome back not only you're welcome back but we're going to be harassing you again of course in the future because I, I feel that. like we could you know i've said all on. of the interesting things i have to say it's all downhill from here i <laughs> shot off all of my cartridges on well, that's the, first the cool one. thing is what we tell our guests too is like you know after you when you come back the that pressure's off you know yeah. you're told you you're kind of like your basic story your origin yeah. story yeah. you can come back to things shit will happen to you between now and the next time we'll see you uh and you can just like we might just end up talking about fucking yeezys over yeah. for a whole show and sure. that, that might be the we you can, know and then you just chime that. in you know what i mean we can do that we can cool. so do how that, can we connect with you uh, online people want to online it's all the same social media man social media is so weird i I've, I've been teaching media for like seven years i think i joined social media two years ago just under two years ago through comedy and it's it's all the same handle um at h dot s dot so just h d o t s like sylvia Derek uh, Octagon Tango. <laughs> I do that too. I do that too. <laughs> I complete disregard it's, for it, the... But it, it throws people <laughs> off. Like a lot of people just don't get it. I'm like, it's just a phonetic, you know, it's just spelled oh, for out like Obsidian. You know? Yeah. yeah. Obsidian. Yeah. Um, Delta Tango Alpha Bravo. You know? yeah. So that always throws me off and they're just like... Well, I'd like to leave you with this idea. Like, I'd like you to take some of your own advice that you gave to me about the comedy, about like just, you know, get do it. Just get on it. The video stuff, yeah. Don't wait to get it right, man. Start doing it because you learn as you do it. Yeah. And and yeah, your your first first outings are going to be a little bit rough a couple of years from now. Yeah. But you cannot get to that to that delicious place without like trying it and actually putting out some potential. Oh, for sure, man. Out. No, I I definitely like I definitely see the benefit in that. But I'm also like I'm very conscious of like how much work this all takes and like like i've always i think craft is 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 really it's a weird word but that's the best way to to describe stand-up or at least my approach to stand-up and um i'm in absolutely no rush man i'm playing with house money i always say that it's a tired cliche but 
I'm older, I guess. You know, I started stand up at 35. Cool. And I started with absolutely no expectations on a whim and just kind of, you know, just went with it and ran. And every show is just a bonus show. Well, so. every time we've seen you, it's been an absolute pleasure. And anyone listening to this, if if you have any, uh, if you have a f- any appreciate appreciation for the the for comedy or just kind of have a great time, like you got to come and check out Habib. Um, I haven't said anything funny all podcast long. Oh, yes, you have. Just have have. I? All right. Yeah, absolutely. No, but I mean, layer in like a laugh track at some point. I would come out to (laughs) hear you just talk about the shit you're talking about. Like, even I find that fascinating because you frame things in a kind of story way that I totally connect with. So I urge everybody uh, that's listening to this to check it out. And please, please, please come back and uh, hang with us some more. We'll get you some more cider. (laughs) You know where to get it now. And we'll be there at the Lock Dock. Cool. Lock Dock, motherfuckers. <laughs> August 3rd. Fire August in the 10th. Hole. August 17th. Fireworks at the end of it. Fire in the hole. Actual fire <laughs> near a hole, perhaps, yeah. filled with water. Something like that. In a All basin. Right. <laughs> fire in the hole. Fire in the hole.